BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping the Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Dominic here with the young boy Josh Smith and Josh from We Work Stiff. On today's show, we'll review the conclusion of World Tag League and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Wrestling Tea store, wrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping a Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Josh, Stiff Josh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I very much appreciate the invite. Yeah, man. Jeremy didn't ask my approval. He just threw the invite <laughs> out and told me about it. I, I've heard you guys mention every now and again our show in relation to whether the Robbie interview or something like that. So I do appreciate the, the shout outs in the past. But yeah, now it's 
yeah, unfortunately, I'm here now. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I, I never thought I'd have another Josh who covers New Japan on the show with me. Yeah, right. The it's the our worlds are colliding at this point. The confusion of of multiple names. I thought we were <laughs> over that now in pro wrestling. Haven't we just gotten past that? Yeah, Vince would not like this show. <laughs> Vince wouldn't like this show for a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah, so to to avoid any confusion for me, I'm gonna call. We work stiff, Josh. Stiff, Josh, and then young boy, young boy. So why don't you just call him? I mean, you can call him Stiff Josh. That sounds a, a bit objectifying, <laughs> but you know, you could just call him Josh. You usually just refer to me as Young Boy, anyways. It's not like I'm going to get confused about who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> get that and moniker, once again, out of brother. Once again, one of my one of my suggestions is shot down by the boss. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to get his branding out there. You know that they have the whole you know the, the Stiff Fan Club. Uh, you know the Stiffy Awards. You know. Got to make sure people know what we're talking with. Thank you, you. Know? Yeah. Appreciate it. Very much appreciate it. <laughs> Shouting out the stiffies. Thank yeah. you very much for that. Yeah. yeah. This is, um. before we jump into questions, a couple things. Number one, this is the first time we've ever had, we've had lots of people that cover Perrazu as a whole on the show, but we've never had an exclusive New Japan podcaster from a different show come onto our show. So this is actually a first time ever. Um, second thing, I think this is the latest we have. We've stayed up to do other people's podcasts pretty late, but we've never stayed up this late to do our own show to accommodate an outside guest. So this is this is a historic show all around. <laughs> historic wow. crossover. Yeah, building me up very uh, – it's great. So I could be – you know, if, if I fail, then we all know it's a monumental failure here. But, no, I, I do appreciate it. Wouldn't be the it, first. I do appreciate the uh, yeah uh, the fact that it's an Australian podcast. I guess I think the reason it it works in that sense of you sort of inviting you know another exclusive New Japan podcast across is that I think that you know there's space in the landscape for other shows if they are covering it in I think their own ways, and I think that's kind of what we tried to do when we sort of built the show was like we're not here to replicate what's already in the space is like let's complement it and i think that that's you know, from the feedback i get from listeners that listen to our show and your show um that tends to be the the feedback is like it's two sides of the same coin you know mm. yeah like we were talking before we recorded there's been so many listeners that are like man yeah our worlds are collided i listen to both these shows pretty cool that you guys are you know teaming up together so yeah it's very interesting to see how you know different podcasts kind of work within the same space i i listen to uh the stiff boys so that i can gather ideas from them to try and beat them so <laughs> i try to make this show much more story centric based on how they do it excellent excellent you're 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 our tony khan is that how it's working <laughs> tony khan i love Perrozu. Yeah, this is actually like a, you know, recruitment effort to bring you over to Social Suplex. I, I would have assumed that, but I, when I turned up, Young Boy wasn't wearing a scarf, so I assumed, okay, no, we're safe. But if the scarf was out, then maybe I'd be concerned as being recruited. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so uh, Stiff Josh, anytime we have new guests on the show, we ask them kind of their, their origins of how they got into New Japan. So uh, first, when did you start watching uh, New Japan? Uh, so I think I started a, around 2014. Um, I had been a wrestling fan as a kid. I had uh, followed WCW down here in Australia. That was like the 
the uh, brand that we got. We used to get the Nitro shows back in the mid-90s. Uh, I think the first wrestling show I ever got when I was a kid, I picked up Super Brawl 2. It was like Liger Pillman. I got it because Sting was on the cover, but that was the first wrestling match I ever saw was Liger and Pillman. Wow. I'm like, this is what wrestling is? And I was like, eh, not all the time. <laughs> Uh, but so that was kind of my introduction to wrestling and I was a fan of WCW. I was always a fan of them. And so when obviously they got sort of subsumed by the, uh, by WWF, um, I stayed with W I stayed with that until Austin left because I had known the, like the Hollywood blondes and stuff. And so I stopped watching wrestling from 2003. Um, and I went away for like a decade and I was always checking in with like TNA. I sort of check in with the challenger brand. I was like, I, I just want something. I want an alternative that, WCW was this kind of like southern, uh, sincere pro wrestling to the point of corniness, but they were always a different type of pro wrestling. It wasn't uh, sort of these over-the-top sort of character-driven things, all this larger-than-life kind of vision. It was like, you know, just real in the sense of how it was presented, even to the point of like embarrassing at times, but um, southern-style pro wrestling, I guess, I was kind of brought up on. And so then around like 2013, 2014, I started like – getting nostalgic for wrestling, started watching like documentaries. I think I stumbled across Wrestler Road Diaries. I think that was something I spotted. And as it sort of went along, I ended up finding the the uh, the Devitt documentary. Mm. And that was kind of like a pretty big one. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I've been following TNA for a bit. I knew of AJ Styles. And then I kind of moved across about 2014, 2015. And they did that Wrestle Kingdom 9, I think, on the Flips app or something like that. I think that was the most mm. accessible sort of access. Yeah. I got that and then I signed up to World um yeah, a month or two later or something when it was, whenever that world launch was happening. And yeah, I've been a fan ever since. Nice. You uh you, you mentioned you watched WCW in Australia. I thought you might meant like Jim Barnett's WCW. No, no. <laughs> not that old. Not that old, mate. Um, but uh <laughs> but no, I um it was like I said, it was the only thing accessible at the time. Like we didn't have tv like you have uh in the states so we were mm. we got it at, ironically we got it at 605 on a saturday um was wcw nitro it, it took from monday to saturday to get it um so it took a little bit of time but uh yeah that was that was sort of my introduction to, to pro wrestling nice uh so who's your favorite uh new japan wrestler uh despy not desperado uh yeah i it's not even a um, discussion. I mean, I've had many. I think when I first started, like Nakamura was kind of my guy. I mean, my story of New Japan is like many. It's a story of heartbreak, you know, of like every <laughs> every guy I like eventually leaves. Um, but <laughs> I, I found Desperado. Uh, it kind of ties in, you know, a bit to the the origin of the show and the direction that we ended up taking was just yeah, really connecting to that character. Um, yeah, I, I just I find him an infinitely fascinating um, guy. I think he's the most uh, He's the purest pro wrestler in the sense that he can tell you everything just from physical charisma and physical, like there's not too many better that's able to communicate their feelings without using their face. Um, mm -hmm. So I love him, really. I think he's great. Yeah, it is cool. Like, with him being a mass wrestler, just how much he does emote and how much you can, even his selling is like so great. Like you can tell what pain he's in, even though he's, you know, fully covered. Mm. Yeah. And he's great. Last question here. Uh, what's your favorite New Japan match? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it just came – we just had the uh, the anniversary of it. It was the uh, Boss J final, Hiromu and Despi, the, the unmasking match. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, to me, um, 
like the pandemic era was tough. <laughs> for, <laughs> for, it was tough. Like let's not let's not kid ourselves. And here in Australia, we were very strict in terms of lockdowns and such. So we were in our house for a long period of time during the you know not to the extent of Japan, but we weren't far behind in terms of the level of sort of stringency around that. And so you know, I sort of turned to New Japan really strongly during that period, and and that match in particular felt like it was that first glimmer of hope that there was something on the horizon because like you couldn't you weren't allowed to cheer but they that that crowd could not help themselves Mm -hmm. and the and it's sort of a a lot of that match is emblematic of what i like about new japan pro wrestling what i kind of like about the community that's around there is like i watched it thought it was awesome i love the story of you know hiromu trying to reveal the true identity of despi who he really is that kind of vision and so i thought of i i was engaging at that level but i had on Twitter, which, you know, <laughs> uh, results may vary from your engagement on Twitter, but, like, I, I often find that I find really interesting insights from people that I w- wouldn't otherwise be engaging with, and especially during COVID where you just locked down, not talking to anyone. I'm, like, talking to my wall, so I'll take anybody at this point. But there's, like, some really interested fans were saying, like, oh, like I, I had a, a trans fan talk to me about how they looked at the identity component of that and how that was about identity affirmation. And it was like unlocking something in my head that I hadn't seen before, like the idea that Despi was always El Desperado. That is who he is. That is who he's become. And that Hiromi was learning the empathy to identify that that was the character. And when he took his mask off, he's still Despi. Like it's still the same guy. Mm. And that Hiromi accepted that. I was like, I would have never read that. But now that I have that, I'm like, I choose to accept that reading, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what I like about the space is that there's opportunities to go deep if you want if you don't that's fine you can just enjoy the banger right <laughs> yeah um so yeah for me that's kind of emblematic of what modern new japan is you know nice all right uh, before we uh, jump into world tag league we have a question from a uh, mutual listener rambone slam pig he says i feel like batman and superman are teaming up this week i'm a big fan of both podcasts can you guys talk about how the different approaches to engaging with njpw complement each other Ooh, that's uh, if you know me, then there's fear that I'll spend an exorbitant amount of time trying to dis- determine who's Batman and who's Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's, that's a lovely, that's a lovely uh, sort of insight. I, I think I don't know from my perspective. I recognize coming in. I mean, we had started a podcast like before the pandemic about about 2017, 2018, and it never really took. <laughs> you know, like we were. You know, Dave and I were kind of just, you know, in red at the time. We were just kind of trying to, I, I, I said, you know, grow interest in New Japan because we like discovered this thing like an oasis in the desert. Like, oh, if you're a wrestling fan that might be disillusioned with Western pro wrestling, whatever, here's a, an option. And we just couldn't find the the sort of the angle to take to get that goal. Um, and so, obviously, the pandemic happened, and lots of things happened, and we sort of went away from it. And I listened, obviously, to to you guys. I'm very much a, a fan of that kind of long form, any long form discussion about New Japan. I want to engage in that sort of content, and I would listen to it and go like, "Yeah, okay, cool. That's that's one way to engage here." From a you know, I, I talk about this all the time. You know, whether it's the Okada Shorts boys who we're you know kind of friendly with as well, internet friends as we call them. Like, there's different ways to do this, and I'm. I just viewed it as like, I, this is how I view it. This is how Dave views it. This is how we read New Japan regardless. We're not trying to pretend to put on a, this is how we read it. And it's complementary right. just by the nature of it. It's not like we're trying to be different. It's just how we see it. 
Um, and I, I would assume it's the same for you. It's like that's how you're reading it. So um, if we were the same, if we were the same, I think we would have the same results we had in the past. It's like we just gave up trying to be a podcast that the structure of a podcast is supposed to be and we just went to this is how we see it and we're going to go all in on that. Um, and I find that, yeah, for people, my listeners, our listeners at our show are telling us that they listen to you guys and they listen to us. I mean, that's to me is an indication that I think we're both doing something right and um, we're providing a full view of of the of the product. I guess is kind of the way I look at it. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't view it as a challenger brand coming in to try to you know <laughs> because I just think I just think the diff, they're just different approaches and there will be crossover and there will be there will be audience members that I'm sure are listening to your show today that are going to be like yelling at their radio or whatever their speaker being like oh because it's just a different view, but there will be people that they cross over and that's, that's awesome. Yeah. One, one thing that I hate that you guys do, and it, it's a jealousy aspect is, you know, me and Jeremy, we have other uh, interests outside of new Japan. Rarely does it make its way into the show because we just kind of hone in on the nerdy aspects of our, you know, insular star ratings and reviews and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm a huge cinephile. I don't even talk about it very often here on the show. And then you guys have the idea and the audacity to, <laughs> you know, have these incredible, uh, you know, parody posters that you guys post for your episodes. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't we ever think to, and now we can't do it because if we do it. We're, we're copying you guys. And I just hate it. And I don't like it at all, but it, it's, pretty freaking awesome <laughs> appreciate that there's a compliment couched in there somewhere i should uh, yeah yeah no uh, i think that's i mean yeah in the day like like look we've sort of run headfirst into all of the tropes of like cinema you know like or storytelling it's like these are things that you just don't want to be associated with um in terms of the pro wrestling discourse but i think mm. we're just like this is who we are this is how we read the stuff this is how we find relationship to things movies and 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 understanding the medium and not trying to compare it to film but using it as a parallel to help us understand i mean that's just the nature of how we would talk about anything so it just has led to to film being a, a, a sort of a core tenet to our our approach to talking about it um but yeah i think as a, as i said man i think at the end of the day like all of those influences are going to come into your discourse regardless it's just we've just kind of put them up front and sort of said okay <laughs> hope for the best, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love them and I'm jealous of them for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah. It's funny. Look, like our approach to the show, like it's, it just kind of like happened and grew. Um, Cause I remember like the first episode we recorded, like, I mean, we didn't, the run sheet was like, not even like how it is now. I mean, we have some topics and we were just kind of talking and I think over time it just kind of evolved. Yeah, we had a totally different idea about what this was all going to be and how it was going to go. But, um, you know, I think I think with us, we just kind of like forged ahead because we started with like 30 people. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, maybe maybe someone will listen. Maybe they won't. I don't know. We'll well, I mean, we were so excited yeah. to get like those first like, yeah, 30 downloads. Like, all right, <laughs> like, oh, we're, shit. Doing, <laughs> we're getting over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and then, uh, you know. The thing that really helped us was PuroCast shutting down for like a few weeks. And yeah, thanks, Damon. <laughs> thanks, thanks, boys. Yeah, they shut down and we were like, oh, our numbers went up. This is incredible. We're going to be number one in the space. <laughs> uh, 
But I, I must admit, I find I find your show to be uh, f- very professional in the sense you've got a real um, distinct structure and pattern, and like, and I feel very kind of like, oh, I get a little inside note. So like, I got the run sheet. Like, oh, look at this. Like, this is uh, <laughs> like I'm seeing how the sausage is made across here. But um, I thought about it, that actually. I was like, I don't know if we should send them one of these. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, don't don't worry. There's no danger of us sticking to a run sheet. Um, but it it is it is really as I said. I think it's you you've it's consistency. You've been around for a long time. You're, I think it's respected of as voices in the space because, like, at the end of the day, we we love this thing and we we want it to be we want to talk about it and it can lead to critical discourse i'm all for that i'm no dramas with that because it's all from a place of the people that are stuck through for this long you know going through the highs and the lows of the, the transitioning fandom that's going across if you're still here you're still doing it i think it's it's a sign that um you care about it and i think you fans will invest in people that that care yeah definitely one thing before we jump into the review here, I do need to put a quick plug in this week. I will be guest hosting on the Chris Things Wrestling With Art podcast. I will be joining him to review the match of the week, and we will be discussing Toshiaki Kawada defending the All Japan Pro Wrestling Triple Crown title against one Don the Predator Fry. So that will be recorded tomorrow. I don't know when it comes out, but it will be here on this network so definitely check that out just want to put that plug in because you know get these numbers up get these downloads yeah (laughs) all right guys let's jump into world tag league so we'll be talking about a block final night b block final night semifinals and finals uh we can kind of just run through uh the results of the undercards and kind of focus more on the tournament matches um so we're picking up night 13 A block final night. This was, was December 6. She opened up. We had Oscar Loebe defeating uh, Shoma Kato, four minutes and 40 seconds. We had the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Jack Bonza, and Taiji Shimori defeating Minoru Suzuki, Risuke Gucci, and Yuji Nagata, eight minutes, 16 seconds. Then we had Bushi Shingo and Suji and Xanakon Jr. defeating Atlantis Jr., Soberano Jr., Tiger Mask, and Hanma. Then Monster Sauce teamed up with Master Wato to defeat ELP, Hikaleo, and Jado. And then the Chaos team of Goto, Okada, and Yoshihashi teaming up with uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. They defeated Doki, Sonata Taichi, and Yuya Uomura. So this brought us to the A-block matches for this night. So first we had Gates of Agony defeating Kaito Kiyomiya and Rihoi Oiwa in 11 minutes and 34 seconds. So both these teams were at this point. This was more just kind of a a fight for pride, fight to get some more uh, points on the board here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when we're sort of going into this point, I was like, yeah, this is this is just another showcase, I guess, for these teams. Who's going to be the, uh, the, you know, the outsider in this space that's going to be booked the strongest? I heard you last week talking about uh, the Gates of Agony and their sort of uh, positioning in this tournament. Uh I think as we sort of go along, there's sort of discussion points to be had in regards to them. But uh, I think you know, at the end of the day, like this is a, just an opportunity to sort of see them in this space, uh, another opportunity for them to showcase their uh, meaty men kind of approach. Um, and, yeah, you know a team, uh, you know, that kind of keeps the 
the running sort of <laughs> direction for that group. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that group with Oiwa and Kiyomiya, I think Oiwa being able to be the guy that's there to take the falls and sort of insulate Kaido to some extent was, uh, was a benefit in this tournament. And yeah, I think, as I said, uh, pretty much whatever I was thinking about this match became quite uh, redundant or overshadowed pretty soon after it um, as the, the, the card went on. So it's one of those ones where it's like, yep, just giving them a, a performance on the end to, you know, the, the gold watch kind of match. Here you go. Um, <laughs> One has to wonder what Swerve has to say to these boys when they get back to the U.S. <laughs> and one has to wonder what kind of hell Kano is going to give to Kiyomiya once he gets back into the green mat. So that's all I'm going to put it there. You know, two sides of the same coin, four points mm. each, two wins, failures. All right, <laughs> Shinihan, <laughs> booking these boys like losers to restore the feeling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah, and to some extent, you're right. You're right. There's a bit of that where you know the especially gates of agony. I think it's like, what purpose did they do they serve? I guess that's the question when you sort of see their results. Um, but if if you look at it, it's like, okay, are they like in the broader landscape? Where where do they rank in in the AEW Ring of Honor tag team hierarchy? Right. Um, are they are they commensurate with where Gabe Kidd and Alex Coglin were last year, perhaps? Mm-hmm. And as a the idea for the classic New Japan Trophy booking model is okay. Your first tournament, you're coming in, you're not necessarily seen as a dominant team outside. Give them they don't give them a lot. Let's be real, but they they get the match later with uh, with the Dream Team, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think I was surprised by the the result, but I think fundamentally they're there to serve a purpose provide a diverse team that otherwise you can't really get in in new japan proper i guess um but i was surprised by the overall results to be fair but i think i think in particular the kaido oiwa team i think they'd certainly outperform their record uh but people just look at the records and go disappointing <laughs> yeah i think obviously this was more about Actually, for both teams, about experience. Obviously, Oiwa still on excursion. This was, you know, him getting some experience in, in, in uh, his first kind of league tournament. And then, yeah, Gates of Agony, you know, they, to my knowledge, haven't really competed internationally. So it was kind of their first big, you know, international tour on a major stage. So getting some experience for them. And so, yeah, the records don't look great, but I think they, they've gained something uh, with experience here. And, you know, they, they end the tournament with a win. So kind of like we were joking about last week, you know, uh, on Dynamite, they can show the clip of the last win and be like, "Yeah, you know, they're over here in World Tag League, <laughs> being dominant." Bro, they're not. They're not going to show a clip of the World Tag League on Dynamite. Odds <laughs> <laughs> of mentioning the Tag League uh, beyond this point, like, yeah, you get you get Nana sort of. They're in Japan, people. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. maybe at Ring of Honor Final Battle when they do the the pre match video package if there is one there might be a one second clip of them hitting the gates of agony or whatever their finish is that's about it that's that's all you're getting some, some b-roll that's about all you're getting here so yeah uh so moving on to the next match uh, i think we're gonna be talking about this one for a while now uh so we had the, the house of torture evil and yujiro takahashi Defeating Ren Narita and Shota Umino, nine minutes and 38 seconds. And of course, the, the big talking point here, the, the turn of Ren Narita. You know, we had we had the documentary, all these interviews, the, the bill, you know, the strong style versus Team Nagata. 
the build of these guys uh, becoming teammates and partners, and we learned about their their backstory. And we mentioned last week, you know, Umino, he ate three falls. He got the three wins, so everything was kind of make or break on him. And, uh, you know, Renderita saying, you know, we're, we're, we're not done yet. You know, we're, there's going to be a lot more to come with us, uh, something like that. And so, yeah, so, Stiff Josh, what do you think about the turn and how it all played out? Okay, here we go. Uh, well, the angle itself, the turn, I I loved I loved the the moment of the turn. I mean, once they got once they lost to TMDK and the way that match was sort of constructed uh, last week, we were supposed to record an episode of our podcast, but Dave uh, got COVID, and so we weren't able to record. And so I went to Twitter machine pretty quickly and be like, I want to get these takes off quick because uh, as soon as that sort of direction was becoming quite apparent, as you were mentioning last week, and we were talking about it as well, that that Umino being the one involved in all the con, like in all the consequence was related to Shoda. It was uh, even I think Young Boy mentioned it last week. The Owen Hart kind of bread. I mean that was the same way. It's like you're just too damn selfish, Shoda. Um, and you kind of felt like then it, you know you saw the house torch on that final night. And before the tournament, when we're looking at it, we're like, oh, maybe that's the you know the the, the shenanigans I have to overcome, or they're going to get thwarted and they're going to miss out, and that's the tag story. But once it became apparent they couldn't make it, then it that was like, you know, alarm bells started sounding off that this angle alert, you know, it became quite apparent. Um, so going into there, I had this kind of like, is it going to happen? And then as I said, as it starts, you know, they get the Ren sort of getting sidelined to begin with and we're going with that direction. And I thought the angle in terms of the execution for it uh, was was perfect for me. And I think it tells, like, I know people are going to be upset about the House of Torture of it all. Everyone's quick to get off their hot takes, uh, literally. Um, <laughs> but for me, the uh, the vision of the way they did the turn, like the way I engage with this is to I try my best to avoid the outside discourse and the you know the the, the cloud that envelops that, and right. just sort of say, okay, what what are they doing here? What's happening here? And it's like, okay, he does this turn. It's kind of like you know people make the Kenta comparison, but it's like the Azuka and uh, uh, Tenzon kind of vision. I saw that awesome parallel someone did on Twitter. That was great. Of like the drop down, go out, sit down, watch it happen. And what I loved about it was it sort of told us a lot about what House of Torture is, where it's like Shoda's like holding his own. They're pretty ineffectual when they're trying to stop him because Ren's sitting out there watching it as these two guys are now not being able, Evil and Yudro, shock horror, aren't able to subdue, you know, the fiery underdog baby face that is showed Umino. And Ren has to get involved. He has to come in. He has to choke him out. I think that tells you a lot about the positioning of House of Torture and where Ren could see himself in there. It's like they're telling us House of Torture with Evil and Yudro isn't very effectual. They need Ren Narita. And so I was like, okay, I, I will they go off that? Who knows? The, the history of House of Torture is, you know, paved with uh, – you know, it's not ideal, but I, I choose to believe, I choose to believe, that's where I'm at, that this will help Ren in terms of uh, elevating him and giving him something that he otherwise didn't have. And I feel like, I don't know if you, you felt the same way, but I'm watching it and I felt like in the 14 seconds that he choked him out and had like three different facial expressions, put the shirt on, it was like he completely transformed. It was like every criticism I've had of Ren Narita 
just went away in that moment. And then, of course, we were enveloped by the, the discourse and people saying it's the worst decision. His career is done. It's over. It's like, well, as opposed to what? The, the four and a half star Matt Classics he was having in the lead up? Like, <laughs> like where... Where where was he penciled to be? So I'm like I'm not as down on House of Torture as other people. I get that their role, and I know that people will say, ah, oh, you know, their career's done. But it's like, okay, well, didn't uh, didn't House of Torture make? Uh, we we all bemoaned it. They made the finals of the Super Junior Tags, and and Evil made the semifinals of the G1. Like, regardless of if we like it or we don't like it, they are getting positioned in key spots. So that's the spot that that Ren enters and. At its core, at, at the basis of this ch- this turn, he became the biggest babyface for me because he means that Yudro is probably never going to be in a tournament again. So I'm like, <laughs> this is incredible, great job, Ren. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm not down on it, but I'm I'm hope I'm happy to have the discussion <laughs> around it for sure. Yeah, I think I do think it's a multifaceted, um, you know, sort of issue, and it's very much of the ilk of the old adage let's see how it plays out you know the (laughs) wwe fans love to throw that around and but the thing is sometimes there is truth to that sometimes you do have to have some patience to see how a planned angle or storyline plays out and sometimes it sucks and sometimes it's great sometimes it's in between um i I like you stiff josh and i'm gonna start saying stiff stiff josh too because i think it's hilarious um (laughs) I, too, really enjoyed the actual angle itself. Like, it became very apparent once the uh, the house of torture came down and, you know, hit Narita in the stomach and then he was selling. Like he was the, dead. Like he was dead. And I'm like, did they did they even hit this man? Like, because later he turns and I'm like, did they, maybe it was fake. And then I, I had to remind myself, like, all of this is fake, like. Of course, they didn't really hit him, but in kayfabe, did they really hit him? Or was it, were they pantomiming? I I don't know. But um, either way, he was, you know, indisposed on the outside while Shoto Amino had to fight off those guys. It was done really, really, really well. And then ultimately, Renarita, like you mentioned, had to come in and basically save the House of Torture from a a fiery Shoto Amino. Um, One thing I don't like. And I mean, this is just my own personal pet peeve. It's not like something that other people will care about. I don't like the X factor as a move. I've never oh. fucking liked that move. <laughs> you know, I just think when I see it, I think it of Tori, you know, <laughs> Kane's girlfriend. Yeah, um, yeah. I tell you, man, I'm here for meta level shithousery. Like <laughs> the idea that the House of Torture has been in the West have been compared to getting like X-Pac heat, go away heat. <laughs> Yeah. And the fact that he's now adopted the X Factor, and he's even in the back calling himself sold out with a U. It's like, was he watching Sold Out 97? He saw six and Eddie Guerrero. It's like, that's that's it. I've seen the Bro, light. I've wait, never, wait, I is, didn't is even he, think is, of is that. Is he the sixth member of House of Torture now? <laughs> is he the sixth member? <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. Uh, you know, he's in California for a long time. What the now. hell? <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. Oh, so, you know, they. they uh, a lot of people probably saw this angle coming a lot sooner than I think I did. Um, you know, but we kind of alluded to it last week and then here it was. And for people that don't like it, I'm not going to sit here and try to change your mind. I get why people don't like it. House of torture sucks. They have sucked for a long time. And 
even when there have been good angles and turns involving them, it always devolves into bullshit, right? So, I mean, you know, you got plenty of evidence to point to to say that that is how this will also turn out. And and maybe that's the case with Gato's booking this year. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't have high hopes. But at the same time, Ren Rita still Ren Rita. And, you know, for those, there were those people out there complaining about him being quote unquote boring. As soon as I saw this, I was like, well, I, I hope you guys are glad because you're complaining wound up got this man into the house of torture i hope you guys are happy you know he's too much like uh like shibata all right well let's turn him into evil but (laughs) um there is a chance because the angle was done really well and the feud between him and um umino is very hot right now the next night he came out and attacked uh umino in the middle of the match with a chair and then, uh, you know, they, they were brawling the night after that. So there is a lot of heat between those guys. And this could hypothetically be something that could reinvigorate House of Torture as a whole. Um, I do think it's interesting how in the booking they have taken all these young generation guys and basically put them in different units all throughout the company. But they're all secondary guys, you know, whether that's Yumura, Suji, you know, Gabe Kid. Uh, and now you're seeing it here with uh, Narita. I am wondering where we go with this long term, and I'm hoping that may you know I'm hoping that even if we do see Narita, you know, lean into the shit hill gimmick that we're that inevitably he's going to because it's House of Torture, that he can bring enough of his style of wrestling and athleticism and not completely throw that to the wayside. That maybe it could make House of Torture more interesting and bearable because this angle was hot. The angle was really, really good. And every now and again, every now and again, I get my hopes up with House of Torture, but Mm -hmm. inevitably it always devolves back into what I hate about them. Yeah. And, you know, for me, uh, I I got spoiled on the angle before it happened. So I I just saw, like, all right, Narita's in House of Torture. So, like, my initial reaction Kind of like our, our friend Rich Latta, who his question, he said, you know, how did you feel when you saw Gato ended Renneria's career? Um, <laughs> you know, my initial reaction was like, okay, here we go. You know, Renneria's in House of Torture. This sucks. Uh, and then I actually watched the show and I watched the angle and I agree. I, I thought the angle was very well done. Like just the, you had the, the subtleness of, yeah, Narita get barely getting hit, being out for a long time and then coming in, choking Ubino out, like you mentioned, sitting down and watching the beating and then putting the shirt on and, uh, you know, doing their version of the too sweet, the cigar thing, whatever they do. Um, I, th- I thought it's it was not a cigar, Jeremy. Well, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever they're, they're smoking <laughs> on. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was very well done. Like this, this will be like an angle of the year, uh, you know, consideration for next year's award for our grading period. Thought it was really great done, and yeah, like you guys mentioned, people were complaining. You know, Narita's so bland; he's boring. He's a Shibata knockoff, and you know, we were even talking like you know, last year he had a big singles match in the Dome against Zack Saber, and now he's like nowhere to be found on the Dome card. And the year before, he faced Shibata in that exhibition match, and so it kind of seemed like his stock was dropping. But now you have this whole heel turn. And I think you know, uh, Young Boy and I have said from the time we first saw Narita in a lot of those like, young lion cups and young lion matches, like, this guy looks like he's going to be a, a heel. Like look at his face, look at his mannerism. Like he's going to be a great heel. 
Um, and so I think the turn makes sense. I think him being a heel makes sense. And this does kind of add some heat to this Umino Narita feud. And, you know, hopefully this, they will have a, a singles match at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, my one concern is, you know, is this going to be a, a, another show situation? You know, right. show, but before show turned, he was a top prospect. He uh, was having all these great junior matches. He was having the great matches against Shingo. And people were like, yeah, show is the next ace of the junior division. Let's get him up to heavyweight, get him in G1s. And, you know, there, there seemed to be a really bright future. And everybody liked show over Yo and, yeah, show Michaels, Marty Yonetti. And then he joined House of Torture and he just has not been the same. Um, so I'm hoping, like you mentioned, young boy, that even though we know the shenanigans are going to be there, that the the great wrestling from Ren Narita will still come through and shine. And I do think there is money to kind of having these guys on the opposite side of the fence. Yep, I, I agree. I, I I also think the last two turns with uh, Uncle Nobu, with Kenamaru doing the turn as well, uh, I think there's indications that you know you saw the way i i personally felt like if you compared the tag league runs that uh show and kenamaru's junior tag team tag league run was was the shenanigans were there but they were they were toned down relative to what we've seen in the past especially compared to what we saw in uh the heavy tag i thought that you know that it was pretty it's pretty clear they knew that they needed more than two guys when Udro was there um so I have a little bit of hope, and I guess with show, I mean, I was like everyone as well. Like I thought this guy was like, yeah, it was like mini Shingo kind of vision. Uh, but I also think that there's something about show. I, he say what you want about the man, I think he really likes. <laughs> I think he really likes <laughs> this positioning. He he goes all in like shenanigans. It's literally show shenanigans. He has his <laughs> own way, his own approach. His 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 uh, king of pro wrestling stipulations were were singular uh so there it feels like i understand we're losing the great matches and i get that but who knows where that will lead perhaps i don't know and maybe he'll never be what people want him to be but he's i think with house of torture you know there's some level of investment from domestic fans there at least it there has to be something in that space um because it seems like you know they find themselves in key spots so whether we like it or not it feels like um yeah, I'm, I'm with you, young boy. In terms, of, I hope that Ren Narita is, is transformative to is more transformative uh, to the House of Torture than the House of Torture are to him. Yeah, and I think you know another great point that you had mentioned, Stiff Josh, which kind of answers MJSPR's um, question, which you believe is actually a step up for Narita. Like you mentioned, House of Torture is always kind of positioned in top spots, and it's always kind of like that that heat thing. Or we, we don't want to see them make it to the finals, or they, you know they get to a semifinals or finals, and we want to see them lose and so they're, they're always in key spots. And so I think this is a, a step up for Narita because he's going to be a part of this group that's featured on every show. They get big spots. And I feel like when you're not in a a real faction, I know he was part of Strong Style, but it was just kind of a, a trio. When, when you're not part of like an established faction, you kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes in New Japan. It's a very faction-based promotion. And so I think him being in House of Torch, being in an actual faction is going to benefit him more versus kind of just being in strong style with, Nur- with uh, Suzuki and Despy. We saw how that, that went this year. Like, yeah, they were Nerf six-man champs. They had some trios matches, but then he was just kind of lost in a shuffle after that. Um, so mm-hmm. positioning-wise, I think this this could be 
beneficial for him for his spots on the card. They yeah. um they don't have five members and he's the sixth man. He is the fifth man. Okay. All right. So he's five, not six. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. I don't know if it's if it's really an elevation. I think that there are some things you could point to in terms of his utilization throughout the past year uh, to cast some doubt as to how management and the booking committee actually sees the potential in him and, and how they're going to slot him long term. But I am hoping that this because He's on a parallel level currently to all of his other, um, you know, what, what I don't know what the word is, but the, the guys that are of the same generation as him, that yeah. that's a good sign. Because um, otherwise, it, it it might not be. Yeah, yeah. I think you just you're, you're looking at it from two like in the world of kayfabe. In the world of kayfabe, it's like this is somewhat of an elevation. You're moving to a, a group that has got results on the board but obviously people that are watching it from the position of you know matches and star ratings and such it's like well that's an incredible demotion i'm not going to be watching him that kind of thing so it's it's really uh depending on the level of engagement and how you're going but yeah i think um for me it's something and he's and he's got something now that we can follow and hopefully um as you said i think young boy where they're like he's i guess it's like his contemporaries i guess it's probably the like i feel like he's not he hasn't been on that that level, but he's been paired with them, and it's and the conscious outside of the narrative story is he's not on that level. But they've introduced that a lot. He's only really ever looked great when he's with Shota, so um, I think there's a bit to to unpack there in relation to the, he needed something to to elevate himself. The word I was looking for was contemporaries, but I was going to say compatriots, which doesn't, I don't think that's right. Um, we did have one other question from Smart Infested Water. He said, serious question. Did Arita already plan to turn on Shota before World Tag League, or was that a lie? And my understanding is that based on the backstage comments, he'd been talking to House of Torture the entire time and that this was always in the works. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you noted, you noted before, uh, Jeremy, when you're talking about, you know, the the strong style faction and their, you know, six man run. I mean, I, I make note that, you know, when Ren returned and he did that six man of strong style, it was against House of Torture, mm-hmm. and he's and he was very vocal about this idea. I'm going to change New Japan and I'm going to get rid of this sort of bullshit. That was kind of his kind of framing of that, and it's almost like he they can consciously go back to that and say, well, Ren tried. He tried to model the the good Shibata approach, uh, you know, this vision of strong style pro wrestling. But even even that, like like Shibata got angry, frustrated with the the guys, and instead of joining House of Torture, he, he just left. You know, I'm out of here. And I think that there's something to the frustration of fighting the good fight against the the this company and trying to project this vision of this thing and that you're not getting that love back. And it's like these guys are over here telling you away. It's like over time, it's going to infect you. And I think that that's kind of the story they kind of want to tell. And when he said, you know, we're not done yet, I think it was very foreboding, you know, before the angle. It's like, yeah, we're not done yet. We've got plenty to come, but it's not going to be together, you know? <laughs> yeah. Shibata's the shittiest trainer of all time. <laughs> yeah. Everybody that he ever influenced and trained, they all went to bullet, bullet club, club. <laughs> or or 
you know, they're stuck in America not doing shit or they're in NXT. So, I mean, it, <laughs> it's not a winning record. <laughs> That's why the, uh, the dojo got switched to the academy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, moving on to the next match, uh, semi-main event, we had United Empire, Great Okan and Hanare defeating Tomohiro Ishii and Toriyano. So, Ishii and Yano were alive. Had they won, they could have got into the semis, but... Uh, UE played spoiler here and defeated them. Uh, any thoughts on, on this matchup? Uh, I was, uh, again, I was interested going into it because, uh, you know, the classic Gato math kind of thing was at play. And you're like, hang on here. Who's it? <laughs> who's alive? <laughs> um, obviously, Yano and Ishii sort of run through the tournament. I, I mean, I, I'm never really going to invest too much into that team from the way that I sort of engage because I'm looking for sort of character development, story progression, and, you know, those guys for different reasons, don't really necessarily bring a lot of that. But I felt like uh, Ishii influenced Yano more than Yano influenced Ishii this tournament, so that was a good sign. That's but true. Going, yeah, going into the going into the uh, the match, I was like, okay, well, there's a lot of talk around that six-man stuff. I was like, oh, maybe maybe they'll go here. And now that we've sort of seen it as the progression, we sort of that's the direction that we'll end up heading, I'm like uh, watching that match and seeing the vision of what that – three-man unit for United Empire will be. I was like, okay, this is this is good work here. We're we're eliminating Yano and Ishii. We're getting them out of the way, which sets up a very different kind of final in the sense of last match on the on the card. Um, and for me, uh, I felt like it gave a bit of impetus for well, we want to come after Ishii. You know, that was kind of what I thought Ishii's role was going to be in this tour was like he's team with Yano, okay, but whoever he's like getting getting beaten by is going to be consequential for that six man. And that seemed to be how it ended up panning out. So for me from a, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be the type of person that's necessarily going to deconstruct the moves of the match, <laughs> more the implications of the match. But I felt like, um, I felt like the showcase was, was good. I thought Hanare and Ishii's interactions have been, have been good. You know, the bit of like, yeah, the board on board violence has been solid. I've enjoyed when they sort of pair up one against. So I'm like, Oh, this, this is an interesting aesthetic. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's it's with what we know about where United Empire is in limbo. I, I felt like that was a that was a consequential enough victory at a key point to give them some momentum heading into the the back end of the year. Yeah, always good to see the old Hanare Ishii rivalry yeah. be sparked. Yeah, um, you know, Okan Hanare, they're reading the tea leaves. Will's jumping ship, and they're looking around and they're like, "Damn, we're not going to win this tag tournament. We better." we better get some fucking gold <laughs> or, you know, who knows how much longer we might be able to stay in Shinihan. Well, what's the easiest way to get gold? Six man tag team titles. That's always the easiest way. And so, you know, they're, they're looking at team Hoff and they're like, what's the weak link? DGE. <laughs> you know, so they're going to take him out. They also, you know, we're looking and they're like, oh, these Gates of Agony punks, those dudes only won two matches the tournament. I'm pretty sure we can take them too. So they really don't care who it is. They're going to get a six-man tag team title like they're the fucking Freebirds in 1983. <laughs> they're doing this, all right? So that's what's happening. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the match. Uh, like you mentioned, Ishii and Hanare. It's always fun seeing those guys mix it up. That was a, a large part of you know Hanare's kind of upbringing and his you know travels as a young lion was trying to beat Ishii, and that was kind of one of his first kind of big feuds in the company. So with him a little more established, it was cool seeing them back and forth. And yeah, he got the pin on uh, Ishii hitting the streets of rage. 
So a uh, really fun matchup there. Yeah, knocking out Chaos, setting up a uh, never six-man title match. And so that brought us to the main event, which was the Bullet Club War Dogs of Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd defeating TMDK. So both got both teams were automatically in the semifinals uh, due to Chaos being out. So they were fighting to see who was going to be first and second to kind of determine the seeding for the semifinals. So yeah, War Dogs get the win over here for TMDK. So they win the A block at the A1 seed and TMDK gets the uh, A2 seed. What do you guys think about this matchup? Yeah, just after mentioning how, you know, I'm not often talking about the matches and such, but this thing was, this thing hummed. This was, uh, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed this thing. And in, and in the benefit of hindsight, it's like when I watched it live, I, I, I tweeted immediately. I got in my feelings. I'm like, oh, this is the best. And uh, I think this might be the final. You know, I was, like, I was just in raptures because of the way that the the match was set up and the way that obviously the, the way they engaged after it. Uh but it, in hindsight, obviously, that wasn't to, to, to be, but it felt like this was their final. You know, like, we're going to go out here and show everyone just how good we can be, all four competitors. Um, Mikey Nichols doing the moonsault. Uh, you could have knocked yeah. me over. Like, you could have given me a, a million guesses, but I'm not picking that coming out. Um, obviously, I'm always going to stand for TMDK. We're a very TMDK positive uh, uh, podcast down uh, as our Australian representatives there. You know, they are sort of the forebearers of a lot of what we – um, look to as Australians in terms of pro wrestling and their philosophy and their they're our cultural exports, you know, Shane Haft in particular. Mm-hmm. If you want to understand what any uh, tradesman down in Australia talks, looks, sounds, moves like, uh, it's Shane Haft. Um, but, yeah, the the way that that match went, the the kind of the chaos uh, that ensued, their energies mix quite well between the War Dogs um, who we often sort of describe on our show as kind of the sociopath and the psychopath. <laughs> and, kind of, and they kind of have teamed up against, you know, mad and hysterical. So it kind of had this energy and this vibe of just propellant energy and it was fast and it was stiff and it was like you could tell they were working really hard. I I mean, I again, I'm not going to be able to deconstruct the moves per se other than the things that were like you know, transcendent, uh, flying Mikey. But, <laughs> uh, but for the most part, I just felt like, man, this is like, this is top level stuff where they they made the tournament feel important because they're fighting for seeds, you know, a very sports based presentation in that sense where it's like, okay, well, you know, I've seen a lot of discourse around the things about tournaments and oh, why would you compete for this thing or why would you do like, it's it's sports, man. Like they're trying to win. They want to <laughs> they want to get the easiest route to the to the to the the uh, the trophy. So uh, it made sense, and to me, it was a nice little inversion of what I expected going in, and they fought hard for not just the results but i think the pride um and the war dogs getting that victory feels significant it feels like it's something they can run back in the future uh because i'm i was excited to see it i wanted to see it happen two days later so um yeah for for all the you know the concerns about the booking direction in relation to the the final when the and the teams that got out i feel like it was it was good enough to carry them with a bit of goodwill moving uh moving forward yeah i i also enjoyed this match quite a bit um, you know, for me, I think that this match was in some ways emblematic of some of the problems in this tournament in that some of the drama about the match was kind of gone because of the fact that both teams were going to go through no matter what. And you already knew that, but there, there were different scenarios that were still at play depending on the outcome. So it wasn't entirely frivolous, but, um, 
you know, the match itself was fantastic, regardless of whether or not some of the steam had been let out of the booking. Um, And granted, both of these teams, spoiler alert, they lose at the semifinals (laughs) two, you know, two days later. Um, So it did kind of feel like these two teams like went out there to basically put a stamp on their tournament and let it all hang out. And that's exactly what they did. And they were, this was hard hitting. It was very, very good. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I was kind of not necessarily surprised that the War Dogs won, but the finish itself kind of um, was a bit unexpected the way it, it turned out. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was Nichols that got pinned here. And I think he took two um, different uh, pile driver, pile driver vari- variations. So Pretty vicious finish there. Got those guys out, and uh, we move on. Yeah, uh, the War Dogs have been one of my favorite teams to watch in this tournament, especially with just Gabe Kidd, like just bringing that you know the Madman intensity to every single match, and yeah, calling them out in the beginning, the brawl all around the ringside, uh, and yeah, they're, they're just vicious and brutal guys. And like you mentioned, uh, young boy, towards the finish, uh, Gabe Kidd hits a low blow. It's a pile driver, then they do their their double team spike pile driver on Nichols to get the win. And yeah, I can understand uh, you know, some people being disappointed about all right, well, they're both already in, so why would we watch this? But I think, yeah, that competing for the seed is a very important thing. And uh, you know, when I wrestled in high school, um, like seeding was like a big deal in tournaments and you know it was kind of based off your records. And I remember there was one tournament where somebody I faced like his coach like didn't go to like the seating meeting. And so he should have been seated higher than me but because he wasn't in the meeting. Like I faced him in the first round. I was like one of my toughest per- like, opponents like, in the first round. And that totally like messed my tournament up because the seating wasn't like done accurately. So like in sports, like, a seating is a big thing and can totally affect how a tournament plays out, what advantages you have. So yeah, it was kind of cool that it was more kind of our, all right, we know they're both going in, but like, who's going to get the kind of the one up on and being that a one spot to potentially face like the quote unquote, you know, lower end of the, of the B block. My, my one thing I would have done differently maybe is have this match as the semi main event. Mm. And then, and then have the, then you have the upset in the main event where it's like, Oh, Ishii does, you know, Ishii and Yano don't get through. And then there's, there's a lot more stakes at play the whole time because you're wondering how it's all gonna you know play out but either yeah. way the match was fantastic yeah and and that's and that's fair too man i think I, i'm just i'm just gonna advocate for subversions to booking patterns i think the you know where things can get quite patterned in relation to tournament booking especially with um you know you got these two blocks and and the four competitors i was like uh, the four teams i was like okay let's something different I'll, I'll always advocate for something different if they can justify it and if the match can carry the the inversion I, I felt like yeah for the most part they did that yeah nice well let's uh look at the second night uh b block finals from mia kanjo city hayamizu sports culture center on december 7th so we start off the pre-show doki defeated shoma kato six minutes and 16 seconds uh, the second match of the night, United Empire's Newman, Okan, and Hanari defeated the Gates of Agony along with Yuto Nakashima. House of Torture, Evil Show, and Yujiro along with Dick Togo and Kanemaru, they defeated Taguchi, Shota Umino, and Tiger Mask. That was the match aforementioned where Ren Narita ran out and hit Shota Umino in the back with the chair. 
fourth match of the night. The cast team of Okada, Ishii, Yano, and Tanahashi defeated Kiyomiya, Oleg Bolton, Oiwa, and Tomoaki Hama. Uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time here, but we did get uh, a bit a, of a revival of the Okada Kiyomiya feud, and the tension in that match was pretty awesome. Yeah, um, I, I love it. They yeah, continue to kind of play that up, and yeah, seeing them mix it up again was great. Definitely. <laughs> uh, moving on, um, Bullet Club team of Alex Coughlin, Gabe Kidd, and Taiji Shimori. They defeated the TMDK team of Kose Fujita, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Hayes. Uh, we did get a bit of pantomime behind the screen uh, when uh, I believe it was uh, Shane, or no, it was Mikey Nichols and uh, Alex Coughlin. They fought behind the screen. Their shadows pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but jumping into tournament action, Jeremy, take it away. Yeah, so first uh, B-block match of the night, we had Suzuki and Nagata defeating the rogue army of Balak Fale and Jack Bonza. So both, again, both these teams were already eliminated coming into the night. Again, fighting for pride, fighting for points, and uh, Nagata trying to get a, you know, a fist bump from Suzuki. (laughs) The never-ending story. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I, look, going into the tournament, uh, this was one of my favorite story beats was the nagata suzuki stuff i just love i mean you spoke obviously the fireside chat video that they did for shoda and for and for ren but the the video they put together for the nagata suzuki stuff was that was that was the goods uh and it's a perfect encapsulation of what i like about sort of new japan's approach to storytelling i guess is like Obviously, you know, they're talking about their history as wrestlers at 16 or whatever, and the journalist was talking about them having a rivalry back to then. Now, obviously, there wasn't some, you know, producer or agent or booker back then going, I've got an idea for this. You know, let's let's tell a 40-year story. But it was like, <laughs> this, is, this is the reality, right? This is the history, so we're going to leverage it and we're going to build off of it. And I just love the, like, what were they fighting for? It's like there's two philosophies in regards to pro wrestling and each of them being too stubborn to acknowledge the other's vision of it. And I just love the parallel of that team throughout the tournament. And, um, you know, I just feel like getting to track them and to see them being like the older version of what, you know, Shota and Ren essentially were being paired as, you know, through that seven-match series or whatever it was, to see um, them kind of almost spoiler alert the idea is like, you know, we're, we we can get together, but we're better as rivals. And that this kind of match kind of encapsulated that in the respect too because, you know, Nagata had gotten a win earlier in the tournament via roll-up, you know, like – that kind of uh, approach to wrestling, uh, and and Suzuki gets a win here by dropping someone on their head. Uh, I just kind of like that they both were able to get a win each in the <laughs> tournament, and sort of a, say that each one of us have, have proven something. Um, and that's kind of what I, I viewed their team. And I thought in this match, I thought you know Bonza and Farle. Obviously, we're going to again as Australians, we're going to be advocating for for Jack Bonza. He comes with a <laughs> he comes with a reputation, right? He comes with a reputation from the way that Australian fans engage with him. It's, he's very much um, people love to hate Jack Bonza down here. It's a fun part of going to a show is to just find new and creative ways to bury Bonza. Um, <laughs> but he sort of served, I think, you know, from our position, he sort of served an important role as sort of going out there and get given very little obviously in the in the position he was he was placed but to sort of just showcase that you know there's more to just uh you know Australian pro wrestling more to just Peter B.A. than than Robbie Eagles because I think Robbie's kind of like an alien you know like they kind of they view him as like he's a special he's a special one that's sort of come from here so I, I felt Bonza in this this tour and in this match you know he just did everything that was kind of asked of him 
uh, which was constantly getting beaten up. Um, and uh, Fale, for you know, for what Fale is, I think he was he was fine this tournament. He was better than I expected. Granted, I didn't have high expectations, but yeah, the uh, the match itself was exactly kind of how I, I wanted to go, and I felt it was you know, it, if if uh, if Bonza wanted to sort of prove himself in New Japan, it was pretty much blooded in this tournament, and uh, this was kind of the crowning achievement of that with Suzuki. Nothing sort of gets you in there like getting dropped uh, by Suzuki. So um, yeah, I thought it was a uh, for what it was worth, um, it it was serviceable, you know. World Tag League 2023, the year of motivated Fale. <laughs> Might not have looked like it, but this is what motivated Fale looks like. <laughs> yeah. hey, he, he wasn't wearing a uh, pin me, pay me shirt. so <laughs> He wasn't wearing a pin me, pay me shirt. <laughs> he gave his all. He fought his fucking heart out. You know what I'm saying? But um, the thing with the Suzuki and Nagata, it's funny because last week Jeremy's like, I hate this story because these guys did, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they didn't like each other at the beginning and now they still hate each other, but that's not entirely the case. It seems as though Suzuki may have given a a bit, a measure of respect to Nagata. The post-match comments seem to indicate that Nagata believes that they are going to ride this momentum and this wave of success by beating Jack Bonza and, uh, Fale, that's the first step in the road <laughs> to them as a major tag team. Um, Suzuki does not seem to be convinced of any of this whatsoever. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think he has any intention to continue to team with Nagata. But Nagata is convinced that this is this is his ticket. These guys are made for one another, and they're going to go on. But uh, either way, it's been a fun story. It is. It's kind of crazy that. Narita and Umino is the the tag team that didn't work out and broke up and you know Suzuki and Nagata is the one ending on a happy note so <laughs> I didn't see that one coming but mm-hmm. you know that's what it is yeah uh not much else for me to add here just one other kind of small story thing is you know uh Fale being you know trained by Yuji Nagata that's always kind of a story that they tell whenever they face off and there's always somewhat kind of even though Fale is you know bull club and heel he still he still has some kind of somewhat respect for Nagata and it's always interesting when they mix it up so I messed up earlier I said Shibata's got to be the shittiest pro wrestling teacher strike that Nagata has to be the shittiest pro wrestling (laughs) teacher (laughs) Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that considering the recent uh crop that he's bringing up but i do think um you're right jeremy that i mean that it echoes the sort of the g1 match years ago nagata and um and Fale. and I, I before the tournament i did say that if he was going to bring his working boots we weren't sure if he still owned them if he's going to bring them he was going to bring it this match and i think but he, he surprised us for the tournament i think he his he wanted to showcase i guess this rogue army vision for what he's doing i guess and and provide sort of the gateway for that. And maybe our vision and hope is that he can step aside and now allow, uh, you know, the caveman Uggs and your your Philip boys to, to find their way over um, without needing that endorsement. You know, I think that's kind of, yeah, but he, he for what he did, as you said, this is a motivated version of him. Um, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. So now following that, we had Atlantis Jr. and Soberano Jr. defeating Yota Suji and Zandikon Jr. This was an awesome flippy do match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, again, I look. Again, Lucha is uh, its own 
beautiful thing. Uh, and it's not something that I necessarily have always sort of uh, gravitated towards um, because it can be kind of, I don't want to get people upset, but it can, it can be incoherent at times. They sort of go in and out of certain things and they'll like, uh, it's, it's like we know that we know that Sabrina and Juno had turned Rudo before coming here, and they're they're doing their best to try to rationalise it, which they did, and I thought that was a good element across the way, um, where they kind of told the story. I know Charlton was kind of hitting at it, where it's like they're just both trying to get over, it's kind of selfishly, and you sort of saw bits of that on the way. Um, but yeah, the the Lucha influence I think is important, especially if the Zandikan and and uh, Yoda combination, and and seeing that play out and seeing know where that may be headed to see them sort of it felt like yoda in his natural environment you know like this is what i want to be this is where i want it to want it to feel and i felt like yeah those cmll guys they worked incredibly hard like that's something i can always say about the guys that come over there they're coming over to get over and and they put in an effort and that's all you can ask and i felt like they did tell a narrative throughout the entire tour which is something that we're starting to see we saw it with titan as well like they're telling stories with these guys that in the past you know, that hasn't been the level of commitment. It's kind of just been, here's the flips, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it feels like that CMLL relationship, uh, which from all reports is a is a good thing to be partnering up with and, and strengthening because CMLL seems like it's the hottest promotion on the planet. Um, that seems like it's, it's, it's really uh, reaping dividends. And I felt this match was a perfect example. If you're a New Japan fan in Japan, you go into the tag league, to have diversity like this on a card, I mean, you can't say no. It's like, yes, we're going to get to see... See the flips, you know, off off the back of we just saw Farley now now something completely different, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I felt the match was uh, was was awesome, and yeah, we'll get to him later, but I'm I'm sure, but oh, I just love the sexy pirate too, just quietly, absolutely adore <laughs> that man. This was um, I make no mistake, I'm not going to claim that this was the best match of the World Tag League because it wasn't, but to me, this was my favorite match that I saw of the entire world tag league. I just, I love Lucha Libre and I love see it made me yearn for Fantastica mania, which is right around the corner, a couple months away from now. And uh, these guys went out there and they, they had an awesome Lucha style tag match, but not just that there were storylines and stakes that were at play here. One thing that we kind of glossed over uh, Zandacon jr. Has been angling to be accepted by Tetsuya Naito and been asking for an official spot as a member of Los Ingrinables de Japón. And, uh, you know, night after night, he's been getting frustrated because they've been either losing or he hasn't gained that respect or trust from Naito just yet. And uh, the, the previous night during the preview tag, uh, Zandikon as well as Suji kind of played quasi heel and they tore the masks off of mm-hmm. Atlantis Jr. and Soberano Jr. And um, in the, post-match they were kind of saying that let's do something at the anniversary show for cmll next year so i don't know that could just be one of those things where guys are just talking and they're just saying bullshit that's never going to happen or maybe this will actually lead to something down the line i i hope that we see these guys all interact once again um at least come fantastic mania but who knows again the whole thing with soberano jr and and uh Atlantis Jr. It's gonna be weird because the Rudo, uh, you know, babyface uh, dynamic is kind of off there. But the match itself was really great, and you know, the babyface team got the win here, and you know, beat Suji and Zandikon as they should. 
and finished their tournament strong. And, you know, we, we move on. But I thought the match was fantastic. Yeah, I love this match. Um, so many great moves. Uh, Zanacon Jr. hit uh, a top rope Tiger Driver on Soberano Jr. Uh, Soberano hit a, a Canadian Destroyer towards the end there. And these guys were just uh, flipping, diving all over the place. And towards the end, Sober, Soberano hit a uh, jumping tombstone on Zanacon Jr. to get the win. Um, I literally yelled, what a fucking finish when I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, what a fucking Yeah, it was so good. Uh, oh, yeah, they they're ungovernable, that pair. Like, that's the best way. Look, Zandikon is ungovernable. I, I said early in the tournament, I'm like, I don't know if he's the best worker I've ever seen or the most dangerous. Like, I, he would do – there was not one point, not one match during this tour that I didn't say during Zandikon's match. I've never seen that before. Like, he just brought stuff that I have not seen before. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm in with what you're talking to, young boy. I'm very uh, – there's smellness abounds in regards to Suji and the slow recruitment of the CMLL guys in relation to LIJ. It's something's happening there for sure. Yeah. And uh, after the match, uh, Naito came out, he, he hugged Xander Khan, but was like, yeah, you know, good, good job kid, but you're, you're not quite ready, you know, to, to be a part of LIJ. Uh, so that the story kind of uh, continued from there. And, you know, as of right now, Xander Khan's not announced for fantastic mania. So hopefully that changes. I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get added at this point. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, gets added. I think him and uh, Teton teaming up together could be cool uh, during that tour. But yeah, I think he's definitely a guy that you know we talked about on the show before. He, he's young. He's really starting to get over in Mexico. I think he did a great job throughout this whole tournament, and it was kind of like the perfect way to cap off his tournament. You know, mixing it up there with uh, CMLL guys, and we know that Suji also did his excursion. And Mexico and was, you know, dying to go to Mexico as, as a young lion. So it was cool for Suji to kind of show off some of his lucha stuff as well. So, yeah, really, really fun matchup here. And so that brought us to the, the last two matches were win and you're in for the semifinals. So first we had the strong openweight tag team champions, El Fantasmo and Hikaleo. They defeated Monster Sauce 15 minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah, blue versus red. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this match the, was... The Bloods and the Crips. <laughs> <laughs> There's some long-term storytelling for us. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I was... I mean, I like Monster Source I, I've, I've enjoyed. I think I've always enjoyed Alex saying I can't really advocate more for the man to get signed than than just every time i get a chance to talk about it, i'm like just just sign this man uh you know maybe a third party deal with uh uh taco bell japan or whatever <laughs> uh like he is uh he's always you know they just show such engagement with the fans like both of these teams are very similar in terms of their approach to getting over i guess um you know being very deferential and that kind of thing um, the match itself. I mean, there's uh, again a couple of things that I was, you know, excited by from a move standpoint. I thought the uh, the blackout source or whatever they call it to the outside was oh, ludicrous. That was dumb. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so there, I, I do think the monster source, like everything about their presentation, was like we want to be here. We want to do things. You know, uh, we've got music and tights and combo moves that complement one another. Um, yeah, I really like their stuff, and I think you know it sort of started that sort of. You know, G.O.D. to me throughout the tournament had kind of been on the sort of back burner a lot. They've been around, but I hadn't really taken much notice of, of them per se. 
Uh, and this was kind of the first time I was like, okay, who's going to go through? And there's people, it was a debate, you know, what, who, I, I know that on your show last week, you were talking about that. Um, and it was kind of like, oh, well, which way will they go? Uh, because so teams are so so similar, and obviously the logic in the booking logic is like, well, they've wrestled before, so you would think that they want to get that win back, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in the sense of the the match itself, I felt like yeah, it was a fun kind of pairing. It was very uh, th- this tournament was was sort of was structured around a lot of like almost like rhyming couplets. There's a lot of similar teams that would often compete. Um, so it was a bit of bit of that, I think. Um, yeah, I was surprised by not surprised by the outcome, but it didn't really. The match itself was kind of like okay, onto the onto the next one kind of view for me. I, I thought it was good, um, and that's that's pretty much where I looked at it. It's like it's good. I like both teams, and I like um, yeah, I like the parallels between the teams. But um, yeah, that was pretty much it for me. One thing um, that I noticed, like you mentioned, these two teams are very similar. And I mean, not just the fact that they are color coordinated, but I mean, you've got, you know, the smaller, more agile kind of uh, athletic showman guy on each team. And then the larger kind of kind of deceivingly agile monster uh, to kind of, you know, round out each team. And I thought that both teams complemented one another really well. The, the, The match was really great. One thing I didn't like, and this is kind of an indictment on the entirety of the tournament, and we, we've sort of seen this with other similar tournaments this year, whether it was the G1 or best the Super Juniors, where um, they structure the show overall the same way you would your typical New Japan show. So like the semi-main event, always feels like a semi-main event and the main event match always feels like a main event regardless of the stakes or who's involved in it because they're given so much time and this match was a win and you're in and it was very good the match was very good but it wasn't wrestled with the kind of intensity that i would normally expect from two teams that their entire future as a team and and potentially going to the tokyo dome rested on it was more kind of wrestled like a showcase uh, like a wrestlemania weekend you know kind of exhibitiony style match and granted it did make sense because both teams are baby faces and there was a lot of respect there they were only given you know probably like 15 minutes to to go out there and get their shit in but (laughs) i would have liked them to have fought maybe a, a little bit more of a gritty style match um, cause the finish just kind of came like that. And it was like, Oh, well that's it for monster sauce. I guess <laughs> it's like, <laughs> wait, what are they? They're out. This is it. <laughs> like, I don't know. That was a little anticlimactic, but the match itself was very good. And they did a lot of really cool and inventive stuff in that match. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the match and I agree with you. Yeah. I think there probably could have been a little bit more, maybe more urgency, more intensity there of a team trying to get into the semifinals, but Overall, yeah, it was a really fun uh, matchup, and the closing was really fun, um, kind of picking up from where, yeah, Archer tosses Zayn in, in the blackout to the, uh, the outside, both um, ELP and Hikaleo, uh, and Hikaleo comes back in, hits um, big choke slam onto Alex Zayn, ELP does the, you know, the, the star kiss, uh, thunder kiss 86 springboard to Zayn to pick up the win, so yeah, really fun match, I thought both teams Throughout the tournament, showed some really cool double team maneuvers. You know, we've been seeing you know ELP kind of do that 
the launching of Thunder Kiss from Assistant from Hikaleo, and then I feel like Zayn and Archer they came with a lot of really cool double team combos. You know, uh, Archer or Zayn doing the the head scissors to Archer into a cannonball and stuff like that. So they found like really creative ways to uh, use their strengths to create really cool double team moves and. I would say Monster Sauce was uh, ended up being one of my favorite teams from the B block, and as a team that I would really love to see continue on. I know Zayn's not really signed anywhere in Archer's AEW, but you know their comments they had mentioned like going worldwide, going to Rev Pro, and other places to to be a team. So I, I, I mean, I know we're not fans of Tony Khan signing people, but if I was him and watching this tournament, you know he doesn't doesn't really do a ton of Archer. I'd be like, let me sign Zayn. You know, do Monster Sauce as a team in AEW, or if I'm New Japan, I'm like, yeah, can I get some more dates on Archer and sign Zayn so we can have Monster Sauce, you know, all throughout the year. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree. I think that there was such a off the back of their performance, there was a there was a genuine people were in in sort of hope that they would get through, and I feel like the match itself, I kind of do agree to some extent with young boys sort of assessment in relation to sort of the intensity, but I feel like some of that is due in this, you know, in a lot of ways. And it's sort of been rectified as we go later in the tournament with kind of Hikaleo and perhaps the fear of putting Hikaleo in there with someone like Lance Archer, who is like a fully formed version of what Hikaleo ideally would like to get to as this sort of charismatic, bigger guy that Hikaleo is not at that level yet. So having long stretches where they can, they can get that kind of, um, intensity or simply which is you know driven by the big guys bringing that level of fight i i think he's, he certainly showed it later in the tournament but perhaps there was a bit of resident reticence to do it with uh you know someone who is a, you know ostensibly a let's say a better version of you you know <laughs> yeah uh, at this at this time but um yeah I, I'm, I'm with you I, I agree i think it uh both teams I think Monster Source got more out of the uh, group stages, as it were, the league, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, than G.O.D. did. But I think G.O.D. came through in the clutch. They came through in the fourth quarter to sort of steal the game. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, everything with yeah, Monster Source's presentation was just so good. Yeah, the music, the matching gear, you know, later on they, they come out with like the, the, the kaiju monster thing. And, yeah, just everything about them was so well done. Archer brought a lot of energy throughout the whole tour, getting the crowds involved, especially in some of those quiet towns. He was getting fired up and getting them getting them going. And, of course, you know, doing the thing where he's beating up all the young lions and Zane's, you know, apologizing and picking them up. Yeah, everything about their whole chemistry presentation was awesome. Yep, I agree. Archer just loves it. You can tell he loves it Yeah, in Japan. Mm-hmm. So then that takes us to the main event. It was the IWGP World Tag Team Champions, Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. They defeated the Just Five Guys team of Taichi and Yuya Uomura to advance to the finals. Yeah, I was I was shocked by this result. I'll, I'll be honest. I, uh, you know, I was looking at sort of reading the the you know the the analytical brain, the sort of smarky brain was coming in. I was looking, going, oh, okay, like, you know, oh, we we've got this pairing. You know, we've got now we've got God. It's like okay, they're through, but that that you know that oh no, this at this point, sorry, this result. Um, I'm getting myself. I'm getting ahead a little bit here. Um, I I don't know if. Uh, let me just think. I'll just. I'm just catching my head around this performance. Um, I'm going. I'm one step ahead. Okay, go back, my boy, uh, Yuya Uemura. Um, so this is another example of a situation where 
and invariably emblematic, I think, of the last um, six months of New Japan discourse, to be fair. Where when this tournament started, the amount of people that were telling me Yuya is, oh, he's, he's not happy. It's like, oh, look at him. He's been paired behind Sonata. Oh, it's, it's over for him. Like, he's he's clearly upset. Boo-boo face, Yuya. <laughs> and it was like, it's, it's done. He just doesn't want to be there. And he did a really good job, I think, of sort of being quite pensive at the beginning, that pairing of Yoda and that sort of stuff. And we sort of tracked it as we go through. He got that win against Nagata, and it meant a lot. You talk about young boy about like the trainers. It's like there was a there was a bit in that match in relation to both his trainer and and uh, his you know the person he chased in Suzuki when he was coming through. But uh, I was like. When this was happening, I was like, okay, I have faith that they're trying to tell a story here with Tai Chi and Yuya because Tai Chi is the great unlocker. That's what he does. He unlocks who you are as a wrestler, who you should be. If you hang around Tai Chi long enough, he will unlock that through through love because he's such a loving <laughs> man. You know, like he's such a – he's the antithesis of his of Kawada. You know, he's the opposite of that, uh, a man that understands the danger of poor influences and the – and the uh, the negative effect that, that can be. This is a guy that's gone through a lot to get to where he is. And with Yuya, you've seen this transition throughout the tournament. And I felt like in this match, like anyone that had this concern about Yuya that he doesn't want to be here or he's concerned about his booking, I felt like showcase. Out you come, sir, and try your best and put like he it was on him, you know, and it was like the support was there, you know, if Sonata was there, to, the support was there. We're backing you. We are, we're in the tank for you, you, yeah. We believe in you. And and to go up there against the, you know, the standard, Bishamon are the standard for better or worse, however people want to talk about it. They are they are the, the hill to be climbed. That is their character. They are the one that you must overcome. And you, you're being positioned in that in that space to go against them and to for Tai Chi to say no. And there's moments where it's like, you, yeah, go, go. He's like, holding the fort for him, um, I thought was great. Then Yuya fails, uh, <laughs> which is a part of the, the story. And then Tai Chi in that, uh, as only Tai Chi can, he's like crying and hugging him. And like, a, I love the energy of uh, of that relationship where it's like Tai Chi's so loving and caring. It's not like a, like two pats on the back. Like, uh, I, don't wanna, <laughs> I don't know how to emote. Am I emoting here? Uh, and, uh, but you get that sense of like, he he got so close. He, he cared. He wanted to, to get it if you feel like he wanted this accomplishment because that's key for him to be able to get what Suji doesn't have. You know, to, I got a chance here. I've got an opportunity. I'm the only guy left, you know, alive in this tournament of the, of the, you know, the Rewa three musketeers. And here I am as D'Artagnan, you know, like I've got a chance. Um, so I really love that. They kind of built you to have this expectation of like, Oh, they're going to do it. And there was a, there was a chance because obviously Bishamon, you know, you can always find different ways to get them. They're going to be there at Wrestle Kingdom. So there's always that thing in the back of your head. Maybe they'll push the just two guys. Um, so I did like I did like the the match. I love the yeah, I love the fire that we got to see from Yuya in this match. And I felt like hopefully that will assuage anyone's like fears that like <laughs> Yuya's, you know, he's checked out. You know, Yuya's they don't have enough pizza backstage at uh <laughs> At New Japan's for for Yuya's liking, it's it's pretty clear that they're telling a, a narrative here, whether you like it or not. I think it's they they told it through the, the tournament. And I felt like this was his kind of like this was his best, you know, his best kind of showing of that particular approach. Man, I I, I knew that there were people talking about him um, having the unhappy face, but I guess we just have such a curated 
<laughs> timeline. I didn't know that there was like people that thought that this was like a Sasha Banks going to drop the title sort of oh, thing. <laughs> I, I think what the issue is, mate, quite honestly, like I get this rap of being quite positive. I'm just more optimistic. And so yeah. as a consequence on Twitter, I'll get random DMs of people trying to tell me from like inside uh, information, oh, you actually know this, really? You, 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 you might be saying that, but like you're wrong because I know this. And it's like, frankly, I don't care about the outside <laughs> of the story stuff. I'm telling you what I'm seeing on I, the screen here, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if we know some of those same DM droppers. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, I think oh, man. the thing is with for you, you, yeah, you know, we always joke about you know social suplex are always ahead. Well, I think people that they're trying to be ahead on stuff sometimes. They're like, oh, clearly they're looking for any sign to try and be the first ones to kind of be ahead of a trend or a new story. And they're like, oh yeah, he clearly looks unhappy, unmotivated, and you know, and it, you know, you has been working people this whole time. You know, his impact on people. Oh yeah, he's leaving New Japan. He's signing with Impact. He, t- he took it out of his Twitter bio. He's He's tweeting uh, his, his his calendars open. He's looking for bookings and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And yeah, I think it's all part of a, a bigger story they're telling with him and Christopher just- Daniels beat him out of the com- company, bro. <laughs> 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 um, you know, one thing I will say about Yumura though, he needs to really, really rethink his fucking intro gear because he looks like broke. Elvis and it's awful. <laughs> I don't know who told him that that was a tight fit, but it's not. Like it's not at all. He's a big fan <laughs> of the uh, the flying Elvises. I I don't know. It sucks, but um, <laughs> the match itself was pretty good. Um, Bishamon, you know, they got the job done, uh, proving me entirely wrong. One one aspect of the possibilities of who might be going to the semifinals and then even further, like the finals. We didn't necessarily discuss last week that the cultural aspect of who was involved in these deciding matches. And when you look at the way that New Japan books, they almost always are going to have at least one, if not entirely a domestic tag team, or at least one member that's domestic. And realistically, these two teams ended up being those domestic possibilities for them culturally. And Sure, just five guys, Taichi and Yumura, they could have gone to a final potentially, but they definitely weren't going to win the tournament in my estimation. And if I had thought about it from that aspect prior to last week's recording, I probably would have been a lot stronger on that on the idea that Bishamon was going to win this. And then because I don't remember what we predicted last week, but I don't know if I said Bishamon was going through or not, but it would have made more sense if I'd realized like they're the only domestic tag team that can pretty much win this thing anyways. Um, so I had kind of forgotten about that, but um, I don't know where they're going with just five guys in the fallout of this. You know, I, I think that uh, stiff Josh, you had some great insights there and I'm again, very similarly to the way I'm looking at Suji and Umino and Narita and Gabe kid and all those guys. Like, I don't know what the future holds for them. I guess maybe this next year, we're going to find some of that stuff out. But um, Yui Mora is firmly planted in just five guys at this point. And, uh, you know, all, all those guys kind of seem to be, aside from Umino, kind of like at this, like, state. I don't want to say stale, but they're sort of just at a measured point where they're not on the Wrestle Kingdom card. We don't know what's happening next. They've all faced their own trials and tribulations and you know, uh, failures, 
And next year probably seems to be like maybe setting the stage for something to happen for each of those guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I also enjoyed the matchup. I think another thing that we overlooked last week in the predictions uh, was the fact that you know, Bishamon, that they've won two World Tag Leagues, and yep. Gato loves booking potential three-peats or, you know, people winning, you know, tournaments multiple times in a row. and Even so, just the story of it. Right, so they could have gone and failed. It's like, oh, they're they're going for the, the three-peat, and that's something I think we, we overlook because we were so focused on, all right, these guys are the champions, the champions never win. We're trying to set up challengers. The Tokyo nah, that's Dome. not what it was. I I was focused on. I don't want to fucking see a, another rematch and then another rematch. That's that's where I was. It was all personal. To me. <laughs> yeah, I I think um, on our show, Dave had mentioned it to me. Uh, he sort of compared Bishamon to Okada of the tags. He said, although they're twice as many as half as pretty, but the idea <laughs> of um, like their character they're still like that's i've often been hard it's been hard for me to warm to bishamon over the time because it's like what i'm like yeah they'll put on solid matches but what am i investing in and what i've kind of come to realize is that they'd like okada like in the, at the top level where they are the final boss they are the the hill to climb the mountain to overcome and in order to affirm that identity to have that character they need accomplishment that's like literally the driving narrative for them. It's like they need accomplishments and to give them, you know, that's the thinking. It's like you, you sort of discount them, but you realize like, no, they, they're really going to push this to the nth degree that they are the, you know, the, the tag team of the modern era of New Japan Pro Wrestling. They are, they are the standard. Um, that was kind of, yeah, sort of slipped a lot of our minds when we're thinking about the direction that they're going to go. Um, because yeah, if they build, they've, they've been doing that a bit. I understand the rematch issues around this this year, but they're really doing that to sort of build people up to an extent so that someone can dethrone them. You know? Yeah, and it, it, the funny thing is, like, they've had a really good year, but for some reason, like, it kind of seems like they've had a down year. And it wasn't until like we were, you know, we've been having a lot of conversation about our, our awards and like narrowing down the categories and looking at tag team match of the year, and I'm like, man, they had a really great year like a lot of great matches against Aussie Open and TMDK and against some mega aces like these guys mm. they have done a great job booking them and making them yeah that, that modern established domestic tag team the, the team that you can always count on the team that's going to be the face of the division and so yeah like uh, young boy was saying it makes a ton of sense here to have them again in the finals for so many reasons them being the top domestic tag team the fact that this would have been their third world tag league in a row. There was so much kind of pointing in the direction. I think, I think it was also like a good story 
for Goto as well, coming back from injury, jumping into this tag league and kind of, you know, showing that he's good and kind of reestablishing, all right, yeah, Bishamon, we're the aces of the, the tag team division. Yeah, 100%. I think that is that is the ultimate vision of them is like, um, and also they're, they're just really good. Like, they're very good. And you put them in with other teams, they will help those other teams, especially ones that are trying to establish their identity. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the semifinals. Young boy, you want to run through the uh, the undercard? Yeah, let me uh, pull it up. <laughs> um, yeah, so the undercard here um, on the fifth on December the eighth, City Makazono Arena in Kirishima, um, we had pre-show Oleg Bolton defeated Katsuya Murashima. Uh, the Bull Club team of Fale, Bonza, Ishimori, they defeated Wato, Luebe, and Nakashima. Uh, third match of the night, Suzuki, along with Monster Sauce, defeated the United Empire's Calum Newman, Great Okan, and Hanare. Fourth match of the night, Evil, Sho, and Kanemaru defeated Keito Kiyomiya, Oiwa, and uh, Taguchi. The fifth match of the night uh, was a 43-second match where we were supposed to get Ren Narita and Yujiro Takahashi uh, taking on Shota Umino and Tomaki Hanma um, ended up being basically a, a, a Red Narita and then they, they jumped Hanma uh, at the bell and they used their slyways to basically incapacitate him, get him in there, hit him with the X factor for the 43 second win and post match house of torture continued to jump Umino and frustrate him and not let him get his hands on Narita. So yeah. Um, six matches the, the, cra- the crowd the crowd gasped at when the match ended so quickly <laughs> oh yeah that was uh i mean i thought that was a pretty cool angle i mean i, I guess it was a match but it was really just an angle <laughs> but yeah it was pretty cool and uh you know still too early for this man to get his hands on him you know <laughs> yeah six match of the night gates of agony along with atlantis jr and soberano jr they defeated the uh team of chaos okada ishii and yano along with tomohiro or uh Tanahashi. Um, seventh match of the night, just five guys. Doki, Sonata, Taichi, and Yuimura. They defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, Suji, along with Zandakon Jr. Um, we did get a question here from Smark and Fessa Waters. He says, Yuya versus Yoda, hair versus hair. Who would you force to be bald? Uh, yeah, I, I noticed that in this match, obviously, at the end of it, you had Yuya and Yoda sort of talking back and forth, which I love the parallel from their first interaction where they're back-to-back and at the end they're face-to-face. But the idea of uh, them sort of hinting at that, I've been high on, like, for people that don't know, I'm I'm going to Wrestle Kingdom. So, like, oh, nice. I've been advocating I've been advocating for those young lions to wrestle. I just want Yoda versus Yuya. I know it's me and Samsa. We're out there pushing for it <laughs> because I, and I, I've just joked I would love them to kick off the match. I want a 10-minute time limit, then wrestle the first match of the card, uh, just for good old time's sake, uh, go to a draw. But the idea of um, that hair versus hair match, I think, ties – if they go that way, it would tie so beautifully into their young lion story because, like, this idea that I've, – I've talked about it. People go, I don't want that because I don't want a young lion story. Um, but I'm like, the beautiful thing about the Young Lion story is they went away with Yuya ahead of Yoda and they returned with Yoda ahead of Yuda, Yuya. They've inverted it. The, the beautiful nature of a hair versus hair, one, it ties to, to Yoda's, you know, CMLL luchador influence, but it's also you're reverting back to being like a young boy. You're mm. going bored. So I was like, I was like, and I'd be, if I was doing it, 
um, I watched with my partner and she's like, we, this was talked about. And she's like, oh, you can't get rid of Yuya's hair. So she's firmly in the Yuya hair camp. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, also the, I'm also the vision like, yeah, shave Yoda's head. Send him uh, that little bit more uncomfortable. Send him back uh, and show Yuya's progression versus him. That's who I would do it against um, for both the aesthetic vision and also I think it's narratively the best the best way. So I, I very much hope that they're intimating. I know Charlton hinted at that. Who knows? But um, I think that would be an awesome, an awesome um, matchup as as a way for them to sort of kickstart that twenty twenty four. I mean, uh, my my feelings on it: they should not be doing any sort of hair versus hair match with these two individuals, unless it's a main event on a major card drawing major money, and it, it should not be like a up and coming feud, you know the new beginning in Nagoya night one, (laughs) (laughs) you know, when there's three more nights, like it it can't be one of those types of things where it's fourth from the top. Like that would have to be something with major, major, major stakes and be built for a long time. But I agree. You cannot get rid of Yuya Uemura's hair. I know Yota Suji also has an incredible mane, but like, damn, like, Yuya's hair is glorious right now. <laughs> and he's probably one of the only, you know, individuals in New Japan with an actually good bleach job. So yeah, there's <laughs> no way he could be. I mean, it'd be crazy if you did that. Plus, imagine <laughs> how creepy Suji with the facial hair and the <laughs> smile and the eye. Like, yeah, that, that would be the guy you do it to. But um, I I kind of don't want them to do it to either guy, to be honest, unless unless they're drawing some major money. And it's a it's a huge match. Like we're talking like a Dominion or Wrestle Kingdom level style match. Then they should not be doing that step at all. Yeah, I have a hard time choosing between both of them. I would not book this at all. Uh, definitely want to see them <laughs> wrestle, but not not really put their hair up, put their hair on the line. Um, but man, there's something about Suji with the hair. I feel it really makes him look like a star. Special? Yeah, yeah. I, I, ugh, that's a, that's a tough one. Oh uh, yeah, but I, I do hope that they they end up wrestling at Wrestle Kingdom and kind of kickstart their feud. And I know uh, Suji's comments were kind of like, you know, you've come back, you have long hair like mine, you you're wearing you know red like I am. Like, why are you copying me? You should be doing your own thing. So yeah, they are they are kind of building this this story there between them. And yeah, like you mentioned uh, Stiff Josh and when they were young lions. I mean, that was their whole the whole rivalry and story with those guys trying to one-up each other, and now that's kind of continuing with them being back from excursion. So, yeah, I think that's definitely the way to go. And plus, you know, we're, we're getting this whole, like, just five guys, LIJ feud as Naito and Sonata are, you know, heading to the main event of the Tokyo Dome. And also, we know the whole backstory of Sonata leaving LIJ. So I think this, this whole, yeah, LIJ, just five guys kind of scenario here works out for their rivalry too. Yep. And so after that, we had uh, the semifinals of the World Tag League. One semifinals, it was ELP and Hikaleo defeating TMDK 16 minutes and 44 seconds. Yeah, first first shock uh, for me as I was getting very I had I just I I knew what's happening. You know, I, I booked it the night before. I was pretty confident in this direction, and this didn't happen. Um, uh, silly old me. Uh, this was a again. It was, there was some interesting spots in the match. It, it, its finish was kind of the same kind of thing, where it kind of came a little bit out of nowhere for me. Um, 
but I what I liked about this, and I was watching it with my partner, who is a big ELP fan. She's very she's just becoming a wrestling fan, and ELP is her her guy. Nice. Um, and what was interesting was I was like watching him come out with the shoulder and I was like, you know, classic pro wrestling brain kicks in. I'm like, oh, look, they're going to protect him here with this shoulder. Like he's got this sore shoulder. They're, they're building this story in the match here to just, you know, give us give him a nice out for when he eventually loses to the well-established TMDK team here. And obviously they're telling that story throughout the match. And then I'm watching going, oh, but now they're now he's, he's getting beaten up a lot here and they're really selling it. It's like, oh, maybe... That doesn't that doesn't seem like the way they would do it. So it was it was kind of a fun thing to watch, and it, it certainly magnified the in the final. I, I went the same way with my brain, where I just kind of halfway through it said, "Okay, I'm just going to switch off that um, that that thinking and just kind of watch it here, um, and get kind of invested in the in the in the result." Because for me, it's like I'm a TMDK supporter, so I'm like here hoping for them to get there. And um, obviously, if the year that they've had, uh, so I was like, "Oh, they kind of need to get crowned at some point." And I'm watching this thing, but. Um, yeah, there were some inventive spots. I thought there was some interesting stuff they were doing. Uh, again, Shane Hayes is a, is a scary athlete, and any chance he gets to be um, showcased against guys like ELP, uh, I'm, I'm always for that. I thought he had a great tournament, by the way, Shane Hayes. I thought he was both protected and he looked good in those key main event spots. Um, but, yeah, I, for the match itself, um, I enjoyed I enjoyed uh, a couple of spots, and I kind of liked Hikaleo getting to have to lift do a bit of the heavy lifting um, at the end, which he often does but then defers to ELP but because of the situation with that shoulder story they they went with Hikaleo being sort of the consequential guy and I kind of I thought he did he did pretty well in that spot you know surprised me a little bit yeah I um I I wasn't necessarily well to be quite frank I was spoiled on all this stuff because I was binging it (laughs) before we watched the show so I kind of already knew what happened but um I I mean like Last week, me and Jeremy were kind of going through the scenarios, and and no matter what way you sliced it, it seemed like we were getting some sort of rematch scenario one way or the other. So uh, I wasn't entirely surprised by this fact. Plus, you know, we already discussed previously that while we also support Team DK, the, the fact that they've already been put in prominent spots so many times in the very recent past, it kind of worked against them um, to to really be a finalist or even win the tournament in general. So I wasn't too surprised that they did lose here. Um, I wasn't necessarily that impressed with either of these two matches, just to be honest. I, I don't know if maybe it was a case of long tournament and some of these teams, you know, getting ready to gear up for, uh, you know, the, the finals and everything like that and kind of taking a, a night off. But um, I kind of felt a little underwhelmed by the performances of all four teams in these two semifinals. And they kind of echo some of the sentiments I had uh, previously about the monster sauce and god match where it was like yeah it was good and actually i thought that was, that one was better than both of these matches but you know there wasn't a high sense of urgency and desperation and that kind of was what i i felt here in both of these matches they were just kind of like matches where they're they were happening they're going through the motions and yeah there were hope spots and everything like that but like it just wasn't really wrestled with that sense of gravity that I like to see in the final semifinal night of a, of a tournament like this. So I was a little surprised by that, but um, you know, God picked up the win and then, it, and then it started once that happened, you kind of had to figure like, okay, 
they're the they're the fucking strong champions and they beat Bishamon in the first night of the tournament like all right i can kind of see where we're going <laughs> from here now yeah i at least had the sliver of doubt that it, that the war dogs and the the el fantasma of it all that there may be just a just a little hint of that i do have a question though young boy in relation to that you know these these matches not feeling like they had that level of intensity do you think that's somewhat and not to spoil the next match but do you think it's somewhat a, a product of i felt like in both matches they was kind of one of the teams was showcasing their less a uh, prominent member like it, whether it was hiccolo in one one and the other being coglin that both of them were getting the sort of the consequential moments that maybe they're not at that level at which the other guys are to be able to convey that beyond just get my shit in get through the spots and do what i need to do it could be. I'll be completely frank. I had to, over like the last three days, watch like from night nine on. So <laughs> instant <laughs> um, wrestling fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like I have the the deepest level of it. And, and now that you're saying that, I'm like, huh, I guess that is true. I guess maybe they were doing that. But it, it wasn't that. It was just like short match times. They It wasn't worked at a really high level. It just, I wasn't getting very excited watching it. Whereas, like, the finals were, we'll get to, are very, very, very exciting. This, these matches didn't have that same level of intensity for me, which I was a little surprised by. They felt like if you'd stuck both of these matches into, like, say, the second match of any uh, tournament night on this card, they wouldn't have been out of place. Yeah, I think another thing too that kind of hurt it was just the the environment. Um, this wherever they were at for this show, the crowd wasn't super hot. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of times they normally would go to a, a bigger building for a semifinal, and you have a little bit more of a hot crowd. So I think that kind of hurt too because the crowd wasn't super into it, and then you already have the guys kind of. I want. I don't want to say they were taking it easy, but compared to previous matches that all these teams had earlier in the tournament, they put on a lot more bangers than they did uh, here on this evening. And again, I don't know if it's because they're telling the whole story of ELP shoulder uh, being injured and yeah, putting the focus on, on Hikaleo. There could have been a, a lot of different reasons why maybe this match didn't quite click like some of the other matches did. And I think too, just, um, I don't know, just even the whole scenario of, I think with this, with the GOD and TMDK, it was kind of like, both teams, I really didn't want to see advance, um, <laughs> but I, I like yeah. I like both teams. Um, but like we said, TMDK, they've already had you know three title matches. They've been positioned super high, like solid tag team. I wish they would have won the, won the titles like earlier in the year. Um, and then with God, it's like all right, the strong tag champions. If they win, then they're potentially going to be facing Bishamon again. And it's like. This will be like the second match, which which could lead to a third match, which we now know. And so it's just like two bad scenarios. And like if TMDK would have won, then War Dogs could have won. And you could have got a rematch of that, which could have led to another re. So it's like I just wasn't mm-hmm. feeling what they were doing here. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of why they're in the smaller building, you know, the end's down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, rain, the rain is up, though. The rain is up. The rain is down. Yeah. Uh, and we got a question here from Les Commission 7252. It says, with TMDK being eliminated and losing World Tag League, do you guys think New Japan misses the opportunity of potentially pushing several stars just to not sign them at the end? They've done it with Leo Rush, Tom Lawler, J.R. Kratos, and the West Coast Trucking Crew. With them now doing the same to Shane and Nick, what's the possibility of them signing for another company like WWE, TNA, or AEW? 
Will Gale try to push them even stronger heading into 2024 to keep the TMDK faction alive? Uh, I'll just start off by saying I I love TMDK. I think they're an incredible tag team, and I kind of think they're at home in New Japan. And I don't think that they have those options in the same way that, like, say, for instance, like Aussie Open did. Um, mainly for the fact that like they've already been to WWE. They've done that whole song and dance. They never got called up to the main roster. There was a reason for it. And I've never heard of any indication that Tony Khan was Jones in to bring them into AEW. Otherwise he probably would already made the (laughs) offer as it stands. And uh, you know, I I think the Aussie tag team quota is already filled there. It's going to be hard for them to push another one. You know, that's kind of the way that (laughs) the mentality is. And I mean, sure, they could go to Impact, but I mean, you know, they live in Australia. What what would be the point of doing that at this point? I think right now that the best potential career move is just stay in New Japan. I, I don't think it's a similar situation to what to the other ones that he just mentioned. Yeah, I, I think that's this I'll be honest, this is my least favorite um discourse in relation to um, why we must push people, why we must do things because we are concerned about them being signed by someone else. I think that that, uh, you know, it's it's prevalent with the war dogs as well. I hear that same sort of stuff like, oh, man, they, they missed an opportunity to push these guys because, you know, now they're going to be, they'll be looking at options elsewhere. And it's kind of like, well, I just think that that kind of thinking ultimately leads to a 50 man G1 because we've got to keep everyone happy. <laughs> uh, like, I think that the vision is it's like they've backed the people they've backed. They, Team DK, have a very serviceable role in New Japan. It's a prominent role. Like, they let's not kid ourselves. Like, they were in this tournament, they were presented seriously and they felt like a serious team. They were pushed strong. They initially they were given that kind of, um, you know, the, the gravitas of being a, seen as a leading team. That's a that's a strong enough presentation, I think, for their role. They're, they're at their age too, and as all the men, things that Young Boy mentioned in terms of their options, I feel like fundamentally, like I'm not going to be sitting here going, "Oh, I, the story should dictate this," because if they don't sign, then they'll go elsewhere. Okay, they they'll go elsewhere if they choose to go elsewhere. I just don't, I just don't like entertaining that aspect because it just leads to making decisions about directions based on the fear or the whims of somebody else. Like Tony Khan's not going to dictate the story. And if the more that that happens, the worse that it gets. So I think the vision should be we've got our guys that we're behind. We're going in that direction. Whether you like it or not, unfortunately, that's the decision we've made and we're going with it. And I'm, I I will advocate for that rather than worry about if we're going to get the return of Slapjack, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel as a booker, you, you can't really like let, you know, all time people's unhappiness kind of control the booking and the story or fans being upset that their favorite team is not getting pushed. And, you know, team DK, they are a little bit older and, you know, they're that, that season veteran tag team. And I think they're in the perfect spot in new Japan. And, you know, sometimes the story is you, you get close and you, you just fall short. And that, and that's the story for team DK in 2023. They had, they had three title matches. They had a never six-man title match with Sabre against Team Hoff. And, yeah, they, they kept coming close but just fell a little bit short. And, you know, 2024 is going to be a new year. And maybe the story is they learn from their mistakes of 23 and they're, they're going to come roaring back and eventually win the titles and have a good year. Because they have been driving that home that 
on commentary. Like they are like one of the you know most established tag teams that have never won the IWGP tag tag team titles, and so I, I feel like they they're going to be set up to have a good 2024. And I wouldn't be concerned about them, like, like you mentioned, jumping for all the reasons you guys mentioned. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of sad that that's, that's kind of like the first thing people think of when their favorite team loses or their favorite guy is losing. Like, all right, like they're, they're, they're potentially going to jump somewhere because they're, they're not getting utilized. And I think for TMDK, it's like they, they were utilized. They were in top positions all year. I think it'd be a different story if they weren't being booked. Not being booked is the, is the key sign of like, all right, what's going on? <laughs> if they're being yeah. booked, then they're in a good spot. All right, so then the other semifinal, we had Bishamon defeating the War Dogs. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but any other thoughts on uh, Bishamon here going through and being the War Dogs? Uh, other than I was, yeah, surprised that that we went that direction. I, I will admit, I, I, as opposed to Young Boy, I was watching, and my vision was like, maybe they're going to do a three way tag. Like that was kind of my thinking would be, oh, uh, you know, we were going to get that Bishamon would would lose here to the War Dogs, who would eventually fall in the final, and the mm. War Dogs would say, no, I'm not going to stand for that. I want to get into this. So in my head, that was always the booking, like that was the logic of how it was going. Um, so I was surprised, as I mentioned before, when I was confused about where we were. It's been a long league. Uh, the the vision was like I could just, I just felt the War Dogs in that same way that you're talking about, Jeremy. I just had this feeling like oh, the momentum's here. It's on their side. They're fresh and they're they're emerging. Um, and I was yeah I was surprised by the finish. Kind of came a bit. It was kind of a bit flat, you know, like it kind of just happened. Um, but as I said, it was sort of Coglin did a lot of it. And for me, the big takeaway from this match was just. You know, was was Gabe Kidd's reaction and the way that he wrestled throughout the the match was he's he was cocky and he was arrogant and he was too busy focusing on the camera and and telling everyone he's a madman, you know. <laughs> and in the background, you would see Godo having to make saves that if he was paying attention and he was concentrating, he would have been able to stop that. And then he has that great realization at the end and throws an all time, you know, fit throws his throws a uh, one of the uh, guardrails into the crowd. Uh, that was something different. Um, so I, I I was like, okay, they got enough heat out of this, you know, loss to you know to power Gabe Kid. That man is powered on resentment. So I think you know I can accept this as an op- as an option. But I was surprised. I will admit, I was very surprised. Um, I didn't in my head. I wasn't necessarily thinking strong versus IWGP. I should have because um, uh, that though, seems like that brand's gone the way of the dodo. Um, so I should have been saying <laughs> it. But uh, nonetheless, um, yeah. I, yeah, it was it was fine, um, and I think. But the the stuff that was consequential was stuff that wasn't necessarily um, as overt in the ring per se. You know, it was more just character beats. Yeah, I think another thing too um, that could potentially have caused the War Dogs to lose was Kid being distracted with Will Osprey. They have their big match coming up this Saturday for Rev Pro Uprising, and so there's been a lot of stuff for him. You know, calling out Osprey on camera on, on the show. So I think he was distracted with that too. Um, Ultimately, you know, I was kind of disappointed with just with Bishamon winning here just because this year, you know, they went back to a two-block format and previous couple of years they've been doing a single block, which you you always got rematches with a single block. And so also two blocks, like, all right, you got opportunity for a fresh final matchup, a match we didn't see the whole tournament. But they did the same exact thing they would have done if they had done a 16-block <laughs> well, a 16 team one block tournament like, why did they bother doing two blocks if they were just gonna do the same thing of having you know team beats 
team A beats team B, and then they both get to the finals, and then they wrestle again, and then they wrestle they, again. It's it just it I didn't like how that played out. They ran more shows, Jeremy. Well, yeah, yeah, they they, they brought some more yen in, but. So they made more money. The yen is down. <laughs> what are you talking about? They got to gotta get these bookings. You know, uh, um, <laughs> you know, speaking of speaking of we didn't talk about it last week. And I don't want to jump into a whole discourse. But I'll just say real quick. This, the the stuff between Osprey and Gabe Kidd on that video chat is easily some of the most compelling you know, piece of work that I've seen in pro wrestling. It's everything that I love about pro wrestling. Yeah. I want to see these guys fucking kill each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they've already yeah. murdered Chase Owens. Chase yeah. Owens is dead as a result of that, that <laughs> promo battle. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, it was, great. Um, it was great. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm fine with. I I, I should have seen that Bishamon once. I once what you had mentioned earlier, Jeremy, the fact that they were chasing the third win in a, in a row i told that just completely passed my mind because i i was in this mode where i'm like they're the champions we're not going to get all these rematches two blocks blah 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 and then you know i should have looked back and been like you know what how many times has has gato done this exact booking the two finalists fight on the first night they beat the champions and then they rematch in the finals like he's done this before we've seen it with hiromu and and uh, Desperado before in Super Juniors. We've seen it in many tournaments. So um, it wasn't that surprising. I, I said what I said about the match. But, uh, you know, I I wasn't disappointed about the outcome necessarily. I was disappointed more so by the match quality and the, the lack of intensity. Um, one last thing I will say, though. I, like Josh, did think that we were going to wind up in the out. Because we were getting another rematch, I thought to myself, there's no way no matter what the outcome is, that we're getting this at Wrestle Kingdom a third time. <laughs> we are definitely getting some three- or four-way type match, which is, you know, that's a classic Wrestle Kingdom trope. Alas, that is not what's happening. So <laughs> we'll, we'll jump into the final night here. So uh, doing the rundown very briefly, final night, December the 10th, World Tag League from Grand Messe, Kumamoto, uh, the pre-show, there was a uh, Frontier Zone tag team match. Oleg Bolton and Taguchi, they defeated Assassin and Kode Nozaki. Um, yeah, I heard some good things about Nozaki. People were impressed. Um, Atlantis Jr., Master Wato, and Soberano Jr. defeated the TMDK trio of Fujita, Nichols, and Haste. Monster Sauce, along with uh, Suzuki and Nagata defeated the Bull Club team of Coglin, Fale, Kid, and Bonza. The United Empire's Callum Newman, Great O'Conn, Hanari, and Jeff Cobb defeated Tomohiro Ishii, Toriyano, Oscar Luebe, and Nakashima. And it seems to be that coming out of this match, it is confirmed that the United Empire is going to pursue the never open. Uh, open weight six man tag team titles. They jumped uh, Ishii after the bell and made their intentions known. So, um, also the first time that we saw Cobb on this tour. So, he's back in Japan now. Mm-hmm. Um, the House of Torture, Renarita and Sho, they defeated Shota Umino and Tiger Mask. And a, a, another match where we had shenanigans that led to a quick win over Tiger Mask. But uh, Umino did get 
a chance to lay some hands on Renarita as he dove through the, the through the ropes and uh, plancha this man and, and he got his licks in. So um, we'll see how that continues out. Sixth match of the night, House of Torture's Evil, Kinemaru, and Yujiro. They defeated Kiyomiya, Oiwa, and Tomoaki Hanma. Uh, coming out of this match, it seems as though Umino is going to form an alliance with Kiyomiya and Oiwa to combat the House of Torture. So that seems to be the direction that they're taking. Seventh match of the night, we had Tanahashi and Okada. Um, you called them the dream team earlier. We, around these parts, affectionately know them as the Mega Aces. They defeated uh, the Gates of Agony because why not give those guys one more loss on their way out? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the final undercard match, the uh, team, the LIJ team of Bushi, Shingo, Naito, and Suji teamed up with Zandikon Jr. and they defeated the Just Five Guys team of Doki, Sonata, Taichi, Taka Michinoku, and Yuya Uemura. This was the first match of the tour where we saw both Taka and uh, Tetsuya Naito in action. And um, post-match, we finally got a measure of respect paid to Zandikon Jr. as the LIJ members allowed him to come in and do the fist bump in the air. Many people were under the assumption that this was the finale of the storyline of him wanting to be a member of LIJ and that that was a formal invitation. Not so. Backstage comments confirmed that he is not an official member of Los Ingernables de Japón, but he is an affiliate so you know, Nato's Nato's scared about his. his I, my working theory is Nato's like I just got to keep an eye on how many of these Suji related guys I'm letting in. You know, there's power <laughs> in numbers here, and I just got to. Yeah, he's like peer pressured into it by the lads. You know, okay, come in, but I'm not going to fully accept that. I right, just as a note for that match, I loved that un, that final undercard match uh, for one reason and one reason alone. I am a you know, I understand the Western discourse around Sonata and Naito being not a hot match. It's cold main event. Um, they obviously didn't tell the uh, Komodo crowd about that because uh, the crowd popped for the optics of those two standing face-to-face uh, and everything for fans out there that are looking at trying to understand the dynamics between these things, everything you need to know about LIJ and Just Five Guys is emblematic in the way that match starts with Naito out front of his boys and Sonata behind his boys. And that moment where Sonata parts them and walks through, that crowd realizes, oh, we're getting Sonata and Naito. We get it for like 40 seconds, we get nothing from it. But they are excited about that. And that's something that I, you know, I've been told constantly it's a cold match. Um, but I am, you know, I, as the lone Sonata advocate, <laughs> as someone that was watching TNA sporadically, Sonata was someone I knew prior to New Japan. Um, I've always been hopeful of this moment. And I feel like there is, there that they will do something there that people will be. I'm not expecting. I'm just going to be the lone advocate for that. As here, if I get my one shot on this here program, I'll make that known. <laughs> um, but I do think it was telling that that was something that the crowd were invested in. Do you guys think that Naito is worried about uh, the potential reintroduction of Andrade to CMLL? Does this usurp his authority role in, mm. in the in, mm. in in the power struggle that is Los Angeles? He may need, he may need him. He may, he may, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, I, that LIJ stuff, I know LIJ lore is often a, you know, it's, you know, Tumblr lore, they're, they're very synonymous, but I do think to some extent the idea that like Naito is, um, 
uh, that Fuji is recruiting. Like, look at how like Titan joined. He just said, mm-hmm. I'm in. And then Suji did the same thing. Now, Suji said before the thing, oh, Zendikon, no, no, he's not. He's just an ally. But throughout the tour, he's been slowly prodding, trying to get him into the group. If I were Naito, I'd be a little concerned that Suji is you know, getting too big for his britches, as they say, and trying to recruit people that are aligned with him, a new generation, uh, into the group that is usurping his authority. So I do feel like there is a story beat there. And the fact that Sonata is the one who left him and is now in a you know, kayfabe in a position of significance, champion, has his own faction elevated to, to it's like ghosts of, you know, LIJ past. There's got to be a hint in his head of like, oh, do I need to be different with Suji? If I'm not, will he usurp me? And rather than leave to start his own faction, will he take mine? You know, so I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth and nuance to this pairing, this, this, this group of LIJ and, and, and just five guys. And I think that, yeah, I think it's the story to watch moving forward. I think that Suji is, we all know he's him. We all know it. It's just a matter of uh, how he goes about it. I feel the turn is coming at some point. The usurp, he will usurp Naito at some point. It's just how he does it that'll be interesting. And I think Andrade being available is like a, it's like manna from heaven. Like, thank God that that was <laughs> an option because we've got an, an ability to go back to the origin of the group um, to be able to tell that story. So, yeah, I, I'm really, that's one of the areas I'm really following and really invested in for sure. Yeah, I think that they, they pretty much set that whole story up when Suji came back and challenged Sonata and then gets an LIJ. It's like, all right, he, he's coming in hot. He's already challenging for the title. He's a part of LIJ. And, you know, rarely do you see, like, the other guy, un, the, the undercard heavy guys usurping the, the, the main guy and getting a title shot. So from, like, day one, they're telling that story. Like, Suji thinks he's the man. He's, he's getting a title shot. He's, you know, skipping, you know, Naito. He's skipping Shingo, two former champions, and getting in there. And so, yeah, I do think this is going to be a long-form story of, yeah, all right, eventually, Suji's he's plotting his takeover. So whether that's, yeah, he formed his own group with Xanacon and some other guys that you bring in, or he just he takes over LIJ, I think that that's a big story that's coming up, and Maybe, you know, a New Japan Cup, they're in the same bracket, or G G1, they're in the same block. Like, there's, there's so much stuff they can do, and I think we're seeing like, a little tension between them and Suji, you know, wanting to break out and be a leader, but also LIJ being Naito's thing. Yeah, you, you can't have a mutiny without a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then that brought us to the World Tag League 2023 final match. Champions versus champions, Bishamon, Hiroki, Goto, and Yoshihashi defeat the G.O.D. team of El Phantasmo and Hikaleo. 40 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, I can say it didn't feel like it when I was watching it. Um, yeah, uh, look, I'm not, I said I'm not the match guy, but I, from this for me, was for all the criticisms that people have had, and if I hear them in relation to rematches and rematches, this, we could see where this was going, right? We could see the potential direction that, you know, that they were potentially going. This, it would go one of two ways. And so that dread and is over this match. But I, I saw, um, I think it's it was a Despy Van Hemmerstock or whatever on Twitter, was, and he, he put a really great, you know, as he tends to do, very, really, very eloquent man. He, he said that, um, that this match had, it, it had, for all the concerns we had, it had to deliver a home run to justify its existence. Like, 
And so knowing all of that and then the fact that they go out there, in my opinion, deliver a home run, uh, I was, yeah, I was in raptures and I've been a day one adopter of sort of ELP, the baby face, you know, from back in his days previous to to uh, joining uh, New Japan and, you know, Rev Pro days as this sort of unconventional baby face that people, you know, the, the lovable dickhead kind of thing. Um, and so, but this to me was his, I've been really concerned about where he's placed this last six months post the Finlay stuff. And this felt like his crowning performance is like what I can be. You know, I, he basically, you know, wrestled this match with one arm and doing the underdog baby face and his, his selling and his emotion and his just commitment. Like they have been for the whole tour have been showing you their heart, but this was the moment where he fully showed you his heart. And that's what new Japan fans will connect to. They wanted him to win. My God, that place would have gone nuts had he won that night. Um, they were in it with him in the struggle and the way they set it up, the way that Niccolo went through that table, his head went through that table. Um, <laughs> and the, 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 the story of the way they built that and the way they structured it. So they're like Hickelo is a dangerous man, which is a great positioning for him from a kayfabe standpoint. Like, Oh, we got to get rid of this guy. Cause you know, he's the, he's the real threat. And then ELP being like, well, I'm left on my own. And I, you know, the Lucha influence came in, who cares about tag rules? We had like eight minutes of two on one. I don't care at this point. <laughs> just feed me the story of ELP realizing that I'm exhausted, my tag partner's gone, and I have to fight Bishamon on my own. And the innovative and creative ways that he was able to counter them and use their stuff against them, which he's, you know, he's constantly done in the past, you know, adopting other people's moves. But to do it out of, you know, defense and to do it out of survival, I thought was in- incredible. And then, yeah, to get to the end and just be constantly kicking out surviving zombie ELP at the very end, you know, that almost Jay White kick out. For me, it was a it was a crowning performance for him and it sets up, I know what it sets up, I know the direction it is, but I hope that, that the, 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 you know, the enormity of the, the match, the, the fact that it went so long, the fact that it felt consequential will carry in people's memories to the dome so that when he's there, the crowd is still invested in that struggle because then it can be like we're one and one and we're heading to overtime and it's like now we get to crown... ELP on the biggest stage, you know, that two and a half thousand were about to go nuts. It's, I want 30,000 going nuts, you know, and I think that if they can do that and they can get ELP to where we, you know, p- perhaps saw him previously, I think that would be a, would be a win out of this, you know, yes, we want to elevate new guys. Well, here's the guy we, we were going to elevate along with Hikaleo, who I think has gotten a lot out of it. It may not be the person that other people want, but to me, if you want, it's a perfect example of how in one night we can pretty much, do a better job of what we've been trying with Tama Tonga for two years. We can pretty much do it in 40 minutes here with, with ELP as the sympathetic, lovable rogue who's turned good and is showing you everything he's got. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was an incredible performance from him and I loved I loved the match. Yeah, the, this match was um, very likely the best match of the entirety of the tournament, um, which is what you hope for when you have a world tag league final very often world tag league finals are good but not necessarily the high lofty great matches you'd like them to be this was the exception uh one of the longest uh or actually i think it is the longest world tag league match in history and one of the longest um single fall tag team matches in new japan history that didn't go to a a draw of some sort that actually had a finish. So um, it's getting a lot of positive reaction from the fan base out there. 
Um, some of the stuff that they did that I really enjoyed. I liked how they uh, they set up that table in the early part of the match, and they kind of borrowed a little bit of the Kenny Omega-ism. You know, you set up a table, kind of leave it, forget that it's there, and then way later in the match, when you've completely drawn the attention away from it, reintroduce it at a pivotal and you know um at a pivotal point in the match where it actually is a difference maker um i kind of think that the the match structure and layout reminds me a little bit of like the 88 uh world tag league finals um you know where you have the baby face in peril left you know to his own devices because you know the dominant tag team took out his younger um, you know, up and coming star tag team partner. And so he sort of has to try and survive on his own. It's, that's also kind of similar to the 1981 real world, real world tag league with uh, the funks getting beat by uh, Brody and, and, um, and Snuka. Um, so kind of similar storylines there. I'm sure that they've probably seen those matches. There's probably some inspiration. Those are very famous tag league finals from the other promotion. But um, the match itself was really great. I think that for me, um, again, I was spoiled going to, into this match. I'd seen that people were reacting really well to it. And I did. I definitely enjoyed it. But I was getting deep into the match. And I was like, this is very good. But I, I'm not seeing why there's all this love for this match. And then once, um, and taking nothing away from Hikaleo, because I thought that he d- he did a great job as you know, the monster in this match, but once he was taken away and uh, ELP basically had to be this come from underneath, you know, never say die baby face. uh, That was like the shining moment of the match because the, the crowd really started reacting viscerally to that. And, you know, there was a couple times where it looked like he might pull it out. He got really close to, to being able to win the match for his team. Um, I sort of liked the fire that I saw from G.O.D. as a team where they weren't just this kind of hokey, all right, come on, you know, like trying to boost the crowd up. But like, you know, ELP at the beginning, is, he said something and he called like go to a bitch. And I was like, whoa, where's this guy been all, all tournament long? And then, you know, at, at one point uh, they were bringing out the, the chairs and then instead they set up the table. One thing I, I, I don't want to rag on him too much, but um chris charlton and walker stewart were on the call and charlton's like yeah they're they're deviating away from the type of wrestlers that we've seen come to know them to be the last couple weeks and months you know them pulling out of tables uncharacteristic and then walker stewart goes yeah well deviating from the game plan will either help them you know sometimes they'll help you to win other times they'll cause you to lose and i was like all right john madden like (laughs) It's the most obvious thing in the but of course it's going to help you to win or potentially lose. One of those two things always happens in every single wrestling match that has ever occurred ever in history. <laughs> but I thought that was funny. But um, yeah, Bishamon they they also busted out some moves that I've never seen them use before. I liked when uh, <laughs> um. They, they set up the, the moment where all throughout the match, ELP's body was failing him. He was getting so isolated and beat up that a lot of his regular offense, he, he wasn't able to do it. And at one point, they sent Hikaleo up to the top rope to do the giant splash. And 
uh, it was a cool moment, but damn, if he didn't land on his fucking knees oh, like he was Tamina yeah. Snuka, <laughs> I mean, he took the Tamina bump hard. <laughs> yeah, he mooed over his knees right there in that yeah. one moment. Yeah. <laughs> but but ultimately, Bishamon, you know, they they overcome, they win. Um, let me ask you guys before I kick it to Jeremy, how many times do you think in the history of New Japan's Tag League under any name, how many times do you think the champions have ever won that tournament? Uh, I think this is the first time, isn't it? This is the first time in the history of the World Tag League, but in the history of New Japan as a whole, it has only happened prior to this three other times. I mean, that's a pretty rare stat. I had to look it up myself, but uh, Fujinami and Kengo Kimura, they were the... Uh, I believe the WWF uh, international tag team champions going into the 85 uh, MSG tag league. And that was the same tournament where they uh, were awarded the IWGP tag team titles. Um, Chono and Muto as team NWO, they won the 97 super grade tag league. And then in 2007, giant Bernard and Tyson Tomko wow. won, <laughs> won the G one tag league as the IWGP tag team champion. So this is a pretty rarefied air. Um, you know, ever since this tournament was turned into the, the world tag league under Bushi road, the winners of the tournaments always went on to face the champions at wrestle kingdom. So the champions have just never won it, but, Given the the way things have shaken out this year, you've got the strong champions, the IWGP champions. They're going to rematch it at uh, the Tokyo Dome. One thing I don't like about that, that is uh, a kind of a detriment, is that this match was so good, there is no way that they're going to be given enough time and opportunity to match to do uh, an equivalent match. We saw the same thing happen recently a few years ago with Hiromu and um, Desperado, where they wrestled at the Tokyo Dome after a tag league. And, you know, it was a good match, but it couldn't match up because they weren't given the same opportunity. And I don't think these guys will be able to do to repeat what they did here. But all the same, one of the best tag team uh, matches of the year, you know, um, for our awards for 2024, this is the front runner right now for for match of the year and tag match of the year. I'm sure it'll get passed up, but a, a great match. And, um, you know, looking forward to the rematch. Yeah, I thought this match was great as well. And uh, I know you were kind of poking at, at Walker's comment there, but I, I did thought that kind of pointing out that, you know, they're him and Charlie pointing out that they're going against the game plan. Um, you know, we, you know, since they've left Bullet Club, they've been wrestling clean. They're, they've become big fan favorites. They've really rested on their, their skill. And so, yeah, kind of like that desperation of, all right, all right we're, we're going to pull up the tables. Uh, we're going to do anything that we can. Yeah, Hikaleo trying to do the, the Thunder Kiss 86. And it just showed it showed you. I think this was kind of showing what you were mentioning, young boy, like that was missing from some of the other matches. Like you, you saw the desperation and kind of the grit of really wanting to win this matchup. And, also, the, the story of ELP, like you guys mentioned, is kind of being this uh, never say die baby face towards the end was great. And I thought the, the whole ending sequence here was really great. And the crowd really helped the near falls. Uh, so towards the end, um, you, you know, you had ELP, you know, two on one against Bishamon. 
And they go for the Shoto. He escapes. He hits a neck breaker and a super kick and gets a near fall. Crowd pops when uh, Goto kicks out. Then he hits the uh, the Ushigoroshi on Goto, you know, getting very conf- cocky and confident. Hits Goto's big move. Goto kicks out at one. I, I pop for that near fall. Crowd pops. You know, they're, they're going crazy. Um, and then ELP hits the, the CR2, which, you know, is his, his, his main singles finisher. And so I'm like, oh, wow, they're going to give ELP the win like this. Because, you know, I think not many people kick out of that move. And so hits that, Goro kicks out again. Crowd's losing their mind. Um, and then um, Goro comes back. They, he slams down ELP. They do their, um, their, top, their new top rope bulldog uh, double team move. They hit the Shoto, one, two, three. Bishamon gets the win. Big moment for Goto, coming back from that injury, fighting through adversity, you know, eating all ELP's big moves here, uh, getting the win for the team, and, yeah, capturing their third World Tag League um, championship in a row. Yeah, just awesome stuff. And like I said, I was disappointed going into the match just because it was, was a rematch and know the potential for a third match, but, yeah, I thought they taught told a really great story here. Um, like I mentioned, the desperation of G.O.D. wanting to go through. Um, Bishamon proving, wanting to prove they're the ace tag team, getting that win back from G.O.D. and cutting Hikaleo off. I mean, there's just so many great, just like traditional tag wrestling. And then looking back to those those tag finals you mentioned, Young Boy. And then, yeah, it's the closing stretch of ELP fighting through everything. And then Goto coming back and fighting through everything. And, Getting this big crescendo, and the crowd loved it. And yeah, post match, they you know they cut their promo and they um, say they want to face God again at the Tokyo Dome, but they want both titles on the line. So we're getting um, Bishamon versus God at the Dome for both titles. And I wasn't sure if they said unification or not, but it does seem very clear that the strong brand seems to be going away, and they're going to unify, probably end up unifying these titles at the Dome. Yeah, I'm, I'll take that. I'll take that option. I know there was a lot of talk around, um, you know, the, a third match or whatever it is. But my fear was that we we're going to get like a challenge for an AEW team or something. I thought like mm. we've beaten everybody here. We've and we'll challenge. You know, I think the the Aussie Open would have been in play. I would have imagined as the team that never lost the title and that this was the chance for Bishamon to affirm themselves as the true champions by challenging them to to this sort of spot. But obviously that plans change and I feel like that's probably what, what happened and we've pivoted. Um, and all I would add to that that bit that you mentioned before, young boy, about the, the, the table spot, um, uh, in relation to that sport, what I liked about that, as you were mentioning too, Jeremy, the change in game plan was the beautiful thing was it was different. They deviated from what they've been doing as like the lovable guys, you know, but the crowd cheered them this time. They cheered for them to go for those things. And that shows me that transition of them now where they've got the position they can be a little less, you know, overtly sanguine or like, oh, I love everybody. And they can sort of add a little bit extra layer of that that sort of shithousery or dickheadery that they've had in the past mm-hmm. and kind of influence a little bit of their action. I felt like the, the crowd affirmed them to do that. And in beautiful wrestling logic, it was Hikolo who grabbed the table. It was Hikolo who went through the table, mm-hmm. um, uh, Chekhov's table, as it were, uh, throughout that tournament. So throughout that match. So, yeah, I, um, yeah I'm, I'm here for the main – I'm here for the rematch. I understand that it won't be as long, um, but – if it's on a bigger stage, maybe more people will see that crowning moment. Hopefully, for ELP, if it, if they go Bishamon, uh, you know, check back later. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I do like when guys who recently turn face, like, that they do kind of still have that little bit of, like, inner conflict and still want to kind of go back to their old ways. And she, and it's funny, my wife, she's a licensed uh, mental health uh, counselor. And one of the things she hates about wrestling is turn. She's like, you just can't turn, like, completely change your personality in one moment like that and completely change your characteristic and everything and just never go back. So uh, I do like it, yeah, when people like like ELP and, and Hikaleo, you know, they were part of Bull Club. They're, you know, these kind of low-down, dirty guys, and then now they're faces, but now they're, they're kind of still, they're struggling with that, and they were able to kind of let it out here. So that, that was cool. Yeah. Um, we did have some questions here. So first, Les Commission 7252 says, uh, during the press conference, how important was it when ELP acknowledged that Hikaleo is the same as Umino, Narita, Suji, and Yomura as one of the young stars for New Japan in the future? In my opinion, Hikaleo has done much more than these four. He sent Jay packing from New Japan and became both strong and openweight tag champion. He made it out of the A block as a second finalist and was in the finals of World Tag League. Yeah, I, I mean, he has done more. Because he's been booked to do more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's also he's also much older, so and he's older too. Yeah, so they probably got to get going while while they can. Uh, makes uh, make hay while the sun's shining, I guess. I think, um, yeah, I think that was ELP's job is to help Hikaleo. Like that's the the pa- the pairing here, and I was down on that because I just felt like, oh man, that's what ELP's position is now to just be there to help the guy that I feel like he's you know, in all intensive purposes is, is much better than um but he did the job to get hikolo to a point and then he knew that don't worry at the end it's going to be me that you're all talking about um so i felt like they did a great job of it just, just to continue the narrative of his job is to pump up hikolo's tires um uh, which is part of the, the the role so i felt he did a good job of that and yeah hikolo's a, a serviceable big man that can always be a um you know uh, a, a valuable role in a new Japan landscape. And I think he's got a bit more credibility as a result of this, this tag league for sure, especially the last couple of matches. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as building monsters, you know, I feel like there's always some kind of monster in, in every season of new Japan, you know, you, ha- you had bad luck Fale recently, Lance Archer, you, you have these big monsters that you want to be able to throw in like a new Japan cup that could beat Nokata or Tanahashi like figure um, it can be a, a credible threat, and I think they have to reload, and you need to create a new kind of monster role. And so I think that with Hikaleo, I think they're, they're trying to, you know, build him up. And, yeah, that's why they gave him the Jay White win. He, he got out the A block. He's won titles. Uh, I think that they're really trying to gear him up. So, yeah, eventually, yeah, you can do Hikaleo versus Umino, and it's this big deal. Like, all right, Hikaleo's this monster. Umino's a hero we want to win. Can Umino slay the monster? Um, yeah, the only ch- the only challenge is the babyface monster is a tough is a tough angle to take. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they pivot and, and and those layers of as you mentioned before, Jeremy, those layers of character need to come in for him to be able to not be stuck as you know the big friendly giant. Mm-hmm. Wasn't hard for Andre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Les Commission also asks with Bishamon winning the tournament for a third straight year. Are they one of the best tag teams alongside Dangerous Techers from the last three years? Yeah, easily. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think, you know, we started in 2017. When you look at the landscape there, I mean, it was um, 
War Raiders or War Machine and um like Archer G-O-D and, and um Archer and Smith. Yeah. And, and, yeah. That, and that was it. Those three teams facing each other over and over and over again. Um uh, yeah, so I think Bishamon has been a, a breath of fresh air throughout this. That, that's not true. Since Koji were around. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think they even had a title run in that year. I, I think they did, yeah. For like a month. <laughs> I, I would say this this team this Bishamon team feels like the most of an actual tag team. Like that so much of New Japan's tag division in the past has been two guys. We want to either elevate one of them. We want to elevate someone from this group, or we want to, we just want to put them on the back burner for a bit. Bishamon feel like a concerted tag team. Um, and I think that gives them the edge over a lot of the other, you know, good teams of the past, even a dangerous techers. There was always the, the view when talking about them was who's breaking out. Will Zach break out from this and become whatever, or look how well Taichi's elevated. I mean, yes, that is true of Yoshihashi in the past. Always come up to a level stunning, but now it's more like they're just a team and you expect them to be a tag team. So I feel like for that reason, they are, yeah, they're the most, when I think of new Japan tag teams, like Bishamon's looking like, yep, that's them, you know, Mm -hmm. you know how some teams save their, uh, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 12 gear for the big title win. <laughs> not, not Bishamon, though. They're like, we're going to do it the entire tour. Every fucking night. We paid a lot of money for this gear. We're going <laughs> to gonna wear it every night. Every night. Yeah, yeah Yoshihashi's like, I got new gear for the first time in seven years. It doesn't have Get Back Up written on it, so I'm just going to wear it as much as I can. Also, I don't know why, but he's got a logo on his kneecap that literally looks like the, the new school Reebok like logo and i don't know if he's allowed to use that that <laughs> shape on but he does it anyway so whatever <laughs> uh similar question here from uh mike gamble it says bishamon win their third consecutive world tag league and also won the tag team titles from ftr i was looking at them earlier this year are we looking at the best tag team in the world right now mm, i mean in some ways yes in some ways i would probably say no I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, fundamentally, right. I can acknowledge that I don't read, I don't watch much outside of New Japan, so I can't give you a an accurate assessment on them outside of that. Um, but yeah, if you're looking in a kayfabe sense, oh yeah, they're, they're certainly very accomplished. Um, but I know that yeah, it's like anything. Like, what are you what are you watching for? How do you assess that? It's I don't know. They if in a kayfabe sense, if you believe that New Japan Tag Division has any merit, then they deserve the place. Um, and you can argue in that context, but I, I mean, I don't really, I don't know how you, I don't know how you define that to be fair. What right. stiff Josh said. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's going to have their, their own criteria, but I will say, I do think Bishamon is one of the underrated tag teams. When people talk about tag team of the year, of course, you're going to talk about young bucks and FTR and Aussie open, but I do feel like Bishamon gets overlooked because it's go to Yoshihashi, but Again, like I did, when you look back at their resume, it's like, man, they have all these bangers. They're on all these top spots. They're they're over. Um, yeah, they're a really great tag team. Um, last question here from Will Pro Wrestling. Do you guys think World Tag League was a success for from showcasing the younger talent? Uh, I, I do personally, but I understand that people want more from the young talent. They want everyone to come back and get high-profile spots. Um, I felt like there was enough story progression for each of those key characters. I mean, Ren got a significant boost. Um, I think most of the layers that we want to add to a character for playing a long game, I felt like they they showed their hand at who they care about. Like, for instance, Gabe Kidd was 
was in far more consequential stuff this year than even he was in, in say, the G1. The G1 felt like he was just doing his own thing. It felt like this tournament, they were like, we're going to use Gabe Kidd in relation to Shota. We're going to use Gabe Kidd in relation to Kaido. We're going to use his what his character is to help you know tell a story in relation to other characters, which feels like, yeah, that's all I'm looking for is just level of investment that's growing on stuff. But if you're like, I want Shota Umino semi-main event Wrestle Kingdom, which I, you know, a lot of people want. <laughs> I understand it's been it's been the pandemic era. You know, it slowed things. And people want fresh, new now. Um, it just depends on what your expectations were. But for me, I, I felt like um, this was a tour that wasn't headlined by a lot of established, you know, names, and I felt like uh, it was, you know, somewhat successful in showcasing. You know, there was a main event. You know, with the Shota Umino Ren Narita uh, Noah main event during the tour. Like that was that was a, an evidence of young guys go out there and put on a new Japan main event and they invested in them. And I thought it was awesome. And I think that that's, that's a good sign. That's sh- that shows that there's some level of care towards the young guys and trust that they can actually deliver in those spots. So I felt, yeah, all in all, but expectation depends on your expectations. Like most things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that they definitely, I mean, th- this tour from a fan perspective was definitely a success. Very easy to watch. Lots of good stories, introduced new characters, built up feuds. There was a lot of great things that were happening here. And, and the, the quality of the tour overall was markedly higher than it has been re- in recent times. But um, at the same time, when you look at the venues that they were playing, it was mostly smaller gymnasiums and the, you know, 800. I mean, if we're being generous, 500 to like 1,200 range, basically, um, in smaller towns all around Japan. And um, they they really put a lot of nights in a very, very, I think it was like 16 nights in 20 days. Mm. So, I mean, keeping up with this was just so taxing. It was almost impossible to do it. Um, and one has to wonder how many people were like us watching all of it how much you know um chatter has there been coming out of this about i mean some of the bigger angles definitely got some attention but i don't know how many people were actually watching these shows checking them out and invested in what was happening um nonetheless i do think that it was success uh in a lot of different ways i just i'm not sure how that will translate from a commercial standpoint long term yeah, uh, overall, I thought it was a really fun tournament, and I thought that it did do a great job of establishing newer tag teams. Like we talked about earlier, Monster Sauce, I thought got over really well. The War Dogs, I think the, the War Dogs were, I think, like the stars of the A block to me. Um, so there was a lot of tag teams that they threw out there that were new. Yeah, that they didn't get to the semifinals or finals. Some of the t- some of the teams, but um, overall, yeah, I thought that World Tag League made it look like all right, New Japan's actually going to have a focus on. Tagless and going forward, and they want to establish more teams that have more than just you know your normal you know three or four teams challenging each other every year. All right, so that's gonna wrap up our our World Tag League coverage. Like we already mentioned, uh, we got the tag title match at the Dome, double championships, Bishamon versus God rematch. Uh, we're gonna push uh, some of these questions to next week. Uh, we did get the Road to Tokyo Dome lineups, and we will preview those shows next week as they're Thursday, December 21st, and the 22nd. And then we'll just get 
through these last news items here and uh, wrap the show up. Nice. So um, the promotion revealed in a press conference Monday that the three-way title match between John Moxley, Will Ospreay, and David Finley um, set for Wrestle Kingdom is going to be contested over the newly minted inaugural IWGP Global Heavyweight Champion. And uh, the comments by Chairman uh, Naoki Sugabayashi basically summarized that in the past, you know, we had the U.S. title that was changed over to the U.K. title and a lot of the expansion of New Japan over the past, you know, probably half decade really focused on moving into the Western markets. But moving forward, they're not just going to be expanding in those markets. They're looking to also uh, move into different parts of Asia as well as Oceania. And because of that, they don't want to have a title that just represents one nation. They want to have one that encompasses all of them. Thus, the global title has been coined and minted. And so we will have a new global championship. I don't know how a global title is any different than a world because my understanding was that when I looked at a, a globe, it was a map of the world, which we already <laughs> have a world title. But apparently a global title is not a world title. It's different. Well, but yeah, it depends on if you ask Flip Gordon. <laughs> uh, oh man you know the first thing i thought when i saw that we we're gonna have a global championship i was like is this just the global honored crown this is the ghc title like what are we doing yeah uh yeah obviously the memes started quickly people's instant reaction i mean yeah, you look synonym for world you'll find global but to be <laughs> fair to be fair, you put a synonym for world, you'll also find intercontinental. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking semantics here. I get it. It's, e it's an easy push to be like, oh, what a ridiculous concept. Um, I know Charlton's doing his best to rationalize that the world championship, you come to Japan to, to battle for the world title. The global championship goes out into the world to, to battle the best. Yeah, I think as you mentioned, young boy, that's kind of the, the that's thing, bullshit. isn't it? It's like That's not, that's <laughs> not what happens. The world yeah, championship. The NWA World's Heavyweight Champion went around the world defending the world title. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Did I not watch Sonata wrestle Jungle Boy? Did that not uh, happen? Get, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I get the I get the rationale. I think, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where they're gonna be doing their best to try to cake this in some kind of uh uh you know logic. But it's at the end of the day, I, I agree with the idea of the US belt, what it once was, you know, like the idea of what it was, you know, signifying that expansion into the West. But for someone that's in Australia, it's like bringing something of significance down here. Anything of significance down here would be ideal. Like, so where there is hope for this market that, you know, the West isn't just the US, it's obviously the UK. There is, there's a bigger world out there that can engage with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I feel like this is just an admission of like, well, we kind of want something for this role. If it devolves into just the AEW title, I won't, you know, I obviously won't be happy. Uh, but I hope that it stands as something potentially that, you know, can uh, be a, a belt that certain guys that will be really good to, to sort of platform, like a Zack Sabre Jr., for instance, as someone you can platform to the world uh, and get him out into those spaces like he has done with the TV title, but with a belt of, you know, some level of prominence. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't really, I don't really get it stuck into the semantics of the belt and it is what it is. Uh, you know, 
GHC though is is a bit of it is quite hilarious. Let's be honest, it's 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 funny. It's it's their low key game plan to to buy Noah and eventually yeah, they're <laughs> gonna get all the the GHC titles. Just like AW is taking New Japan titles, New Japan's gonna take <laughs> Noah titles and start yeah, murdering wrestling it. <laughs> a history of punching down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think the one thing with this title, I think the one thing that Will Ospreay proved this year is that. You know, if you are a star and go around the world, have great matches, people are going to see you as the real world champion. Um, and so I think the man a lot of times makes a title. So we'll see who ends up being the first champion and uh, yeah, seeing the pace they set for the title next year. You know, this shit's not traveling around the world. They might start it out that way, a show here or there, but this is going to be the All Atlantic. It's just going to eventually just be on the show. It's just going to be the Intercontinental title. That's yeah, all it and, is. and that's it. I'll, I'll take it. I will take that. That's, <laughs> that's preferable to me. If we can do that as this, the, the second belt, yeah, let's do that. Uh, and, and and just pretend like we're going to be expanding in those spaces and I just actually retract. Global's so stupid. <laughs> Anyways, Noah, the new year, 2024, they uh, announced a couple uh matches for the january 2nd noah show involving new japan talent so uh kiyomiya and oiwa will be teaming up to take on evil and yujiro of the house of torture tomohiro ishii has answered the challenge to masa kitamiya they'll be facing off in one-on-one action go shiozaki will be facing off with uh satoshi kojima strongest arm strongest lariat bread club for life and uh finally zack saber jr and yoshinari ogawa Team up to face off against Hiroshi Tanahashi and Hayata. Um, Repro Uprising 2023 is this Saturday. We have a rematch between Tomohiro Ishii and Luke Jacobs. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. will be facing off against JJ Gale. And then in the main event, Will Ospreay versus Gabe Kidd, which is going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, Will Ospreay versus Josh Alexander, too goes down at TNA Snake Eyes on January 14th at the Palms in Las Vegas. Also announced for that show is the return of one Kazushiko Okada to TNA as he teams up with longtime friends, the Motor City Machine Guns, to take on Eddie Edwards, Moose, and Brian Myers at Snake Eyes. And uh, finally, Mascara Dorada and Rocky Romero 3 will be taking place this Friday at Arena Mexico. So a lot of excursion matchups taking place already in this portion of the calendar year yeah well that's gonna wrap up the news gonna push uh, some of these questions to next week stiff God josh good. i'm too tired <laughs> <laughs> just just blame me trust me people, people are used to me going along so just blame me i'm happy to take it uh stiff josh thanks so much for uh joining us this week tell our listeners those who don't know where they can find you online and what your podcast is all about. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can find me uh, on Twitter or X at WeWorkStiff. That's at WeWorkStiff on Twitter. I'm pretty much always there getting into, you know, random subtweet arguments, uh, trying to fight the good fight. Uh, and I obviously represent WeWorkStiff, the podcast that myself and my co-host Dave run. We are a New Japan Pro Wrestling character and storytelling podcast. Uh, it's just not, if that's not evident from what I've talked about here today, um, and, uh, yeah, you can find us, uh, find our show at uh, the stiff.club or weworkstiff.com. Uh, you can find our little uh, join up as a member of the Stiffies. If, you, if you're if so inclined, buy some merch if you're so inclined. Uh, support our little independent endeavor. Uh, again, thank you so much to you fellas for inviting me on. I very much appreciate it. Uh, uh, pushing to be much later in your uh, time, I, uh, I 
yeah, I'm very uh, humbled by the, inv- the invitation and I hope that the listeners out there, um, you know, got something out of this crossover event. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's definitely was great stuff. We'll definitely have to have you back on. And, yeah, we'd love to be on We Work Stiff one day if you, you'd have us. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Great stuff. 100%. We've got, we've got something big coming, so I'll, I'll send you an invite for that. Uh, we'd love to, again, to cross-pollinate. I think it's it's only good for the, uh, the discourse that there is no tribalism here in this space. I know it's hard for pro wrestling uh, discourse to accept that notion, but, yeah, yeah amongst us it's – it's all about uh, growing our understanding. I really do appreciate getting the opportunity to hear in person. Um, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it allows me to not just talk to the wall when I'm listening to you guys. So I very much appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, next week we'll be back to uh, do our awards preview show. We finally got all our awards and nominees narrowed down. I got everything on the ballot. I, I got the Discord daddy uh, double checking to make sure everything's spelled right and formatted correctly. On the I didn't ballot. even know what we're doing next week. I had no clue that that's what's happening. Yeah, we're, we're doing the, the the award preview show. The ballot will drop this week. You get your, you get your vote on there. So we'll be doing that uh, next week. That means we're so close to Wrestle Kingdom coming soon. So that'll be next week. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you uh, connect with us on social media. On X, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. Follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. Also, find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Instagram at Social Suplex on Reddit. I am the pro black guy, Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at social suplex.com. And make sure you check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumowitz. Imps WWE Adventure with the Implications, Matthew Mayer. And Wrestling Art with Chris Things. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Itchy. Bye. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.